here at Lawyer Talk Off the Record on the air. Uh, special guest, Mr. Hughes from the County Prosecutor's Office. This is our uh, nemesis, by the way. He's, he's, he is, I, I'm not ashamed to say, uh, whooped us in trial at least once. Yes. Uh, but a well-tried case, I might say. Well, of course, and it wasn't me. It was the jurors, so. I blame you. Know. you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guarantee our client probably blames you. <laughs> well, I do have to give, you know, the standard disclaimer being a lawyer and all that I'm not here on behalf of uh, my employer or my office, and I, anything I say yeah. does not represent the prosecuting attorney's office or association, so if I uh, say it's okay to take out a Michigan fan, if you see him walking down the street, you can't come back later and say, well, prosecutor said I, I could like assault I like any Michigan fan. Now, we could, I'd probably have the capability to disguise your voice, take out your name, and then you can just speak freely about how awful everything is. Oh, well, I'll speak freely nonetheless. Right, that's good enough. I've got nothing to hide behind here. Um, you know, a few weeks ago, or I, I don't know when the date was, but what, what are we today's date? What is this? It's a date that lives in infamy. infamy oh, that's, yep. this is December 7th. Yep. I, you know, I could sit and talk about World War II all for the next six hours if we wanted, but we have this keep standing your ground is what I've sort of labeled this mission. Um, we talked about stand your ground, what was that, three or four weeks ago, and then yeah. something came out, and uh, it was a new sort of a revamp of Ohio's self-defense law. And you know, you know how that you know how that came up, Mike. We were sitting here figuring out what we're going to talk about, and then I was googling something, and then on my Facebook feed said something about staying your ground. So I read it. I was like, "Ooh, this is interesting. We could just talk about this." Well, Zuckerberg knows what you like. Yeah, there he goes. Zuckerberg has <laughs> figured it out. I hate that, but he has. Uh, and then the idea was to uh, sort of go through and give the defense side of staying, or maybe the lawyer side of staying your ground. I've tried a number of self-defense cases on my side, and I imagine you too on your side. And uh, and then I think Jeff, you ran into Mike over where at the courthouse courthouse somewhere. somewhere. And yeah, started, he started talking, talking about it. Yeah. yeah, just in a yeah. courtroom like normal, dealing with our cases and yep. helping clients, and came up. Mike, how long have you been a prosecutor? So I started uh, in two thousand and one here in our office. Two thousand seventeen years. Yeah, graduating capital. Yeah, two thousand capital grad, born and bred and raised here in Columbus, Ohio, St. Charles grad, and then I went off to Ohio Dominican and not bar afterwards ended up at Capital University only because I didn't get into OSU <laughs> yeah uh, my, my dad, options were limited yeah, at that point no way I was getting into OSU <laughs> my dad used to always say you're going to go to Capital well you have two reasons to go to Capital one you want to go at night and work or two you didn't get into yeah. Ohio State right it was either that or the number I was looking for the number of that truck driving school and so I ended up going to law school instead and there you uh, go. it worked out all Good right second choice yeah I've enjoyed my time there and uh, get to try a lot of cases. That's the most fun you can have. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. The people that know you know that you are not scared of trial. How many trials do you think you've had over 17 years? I think jury trials, I'm somewhere around 100. And uh, when it comes to bench trials, you know, you work your way through juvenile court and whatnot. Yeah. I'm sure I have more than that when it comes to bench trials. But I, don't, I don't think those count, though, bench trials. Hmm. There was a, he's now Judge Serrett. Yes. Mark Serrett. He was in my building uh, over on 3rd Street when Eric and I first started our practice. And he used to sort of mumble, it doesn't count unless there's a jury. <laughs> oh, there's some truth to that, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. 12 people, a lot more to deal with than just one. Can you imagine, Jared got to, got to see us sort of work up a trial recently. Can you imagine, he's done 100 of that. Because you're doing, I mean, for the bulk of those are felony type situations. Yeah. You were doing, I know you've done sex cases, you've done violent cases. I mean, you've done the whole gamut, haven't you? You probably yeah. tried murder. Yeah, I um, uh, was in the Special Victims Unit for about five years, and I don't keep track of wins or losses, but I do write down the case number of every trial that I have, sure. so at the end of the year I can look. 
and um, I've had 11 so far this year in trial, 56 days and 11 felonies. Three of those were murder cases. Mm, so geez. it keeps me plenty busy. 11 mm. trials. That's a lot of work. In a year. That's yeah. a lot of work. That's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, I, I would think there's probably not a lot of defense attorneys, at least in the Franklin County Bar, that can say they've had 11 trials this year. Maybe there's uh, You might get some. You know, there's a couple of us that try a lot. I don't anymore. I mean, honestly, I just don't. Either we don't need to because uh, the cases are getting resolved or we're not getting the cases that are getting tried anymore. But, you know, there was a time in Muni Court you could get a trial. You get a lot of trials, and now it just never happens. I mean, it just doesn't happen. In felony court, I've always said this, unless somebody's being unreasonable, you don't need a trial. I mean, you can almost always resolve cases, and the ones that go are really the ones that need it, where there's no, they're not a lot of, you were in the sex abuse unit or the special. Right. I mean. It's the, hard to find an in-between between, right. you know, child abuse and what, what else can you, you know, work right. with, I right. guess. Life yeah. in prison or you walk out innocent. Now, where's the, where's the middle if you say you didn't do it? So right. you know, there's just yeah. not a lot of wiggle room there. And then. You know, maybe murder cases or, or sort of like that. And sometimes you can work those out. You know, you get an agreed amount of time that might be appropriate. And the victim's family is fine with somebody doing 20 or 25 years versus well, life. And as, as long as everybody's on board and we have a meeting of the minds, then you're right. We can resolve them. Except when it's self defense. I mean, often right. mm-hmm. that is the fly in the ointment on resolutions because, well, I mean, I can't even say that. I mean, I've worked out, maybe even with you, I've worked out murder cases where. Maybe it's almost self-defense. Maybe it's not almost self-defense. Maybe it's somewhere in the middle, so you end up with a manslaughter or something that reflects uh, at least a halfway justifiable purpose in what they did, if not a legal defense. Um, and then I think most of the time you can resolve those too. Well, well um, you know, one of the things that I, I'd forgotten to mention in the beginning is I've uh, been an NRA instructor since 2004. So I teach basic pistol, basic rifle, and personal protection. And one of the things I always tell my students in my CCW classes, well, if you ever have to use your gun in self-defense, it ain't a whodunit. Yeah, that's uh, exactly. So every so oftentimes, if somebody is uh, caught, indicted, or charged with a murder offense, and it's clear that they're the person that did it, and there's no way around it because of the evidence, the only thing you can really fall back on is self-defense because your goose is cooked, so to speak. Right, right. It, you know, I taught, uh, I lectured at. There's one of those I lectured at, and I was driving up to. Uh, to the place where it was going to happen. Uh, lecture is not the right word, but I was just going to, I was helping somebody else teach it. And I, as I looked out, uh, my co-instructor was doing the sort of the introductory stuff. And then I was trying to figure out, all right, now what are you going to say? You really didn't prepare much. Figure this out. And the it dawned on me. wing. It dawned on me. I, I just finished a self-defense case. And it, it dawned on me that Nobody out there sort of understands the gravity of what that is, of actually having to kill somebody and then saying it's self-defense. Because we all take for granted self-defense is self-defense. But, uh, and this gets us to our topic. It's like, but I, what I did is I took, I said, all right, you, sir, over there, why don't you come sit up here? And I rearranged the table so it looked like a council table. All right. And I said, ma'am, you come up here. You be the prosecutor. Um, and, uh, and I just started. I mean, I, I did an opening statement on a self-defense case and you can see jaws hitting the floor and they're, they're like, wait a minute. Uh, this is really what it is. And I did the prosecutor's opening statement, which was far different than mine. Uh, and you know, we sort of, I didn't have to play by trial rules, but I could skip around and say, all right, now guess what? If she wins, this is a, this is an 18 to life, right? 18 to life. So you're going to get 15 to life on the homicide and then three for the gun. Right. But you can't tell the jurors that. No, you can't tell. No, that was, I, I was making the, 
the point to those guys or to the class. And I think is as, as well, an instructor, know that. the, the person sitting there is going to know that if I lose, well, there I, we go. I, I think people tend to take for granted, oh, it's self-defense, no big deal. Often there's still a trial. It's not, you don't necessarily, it still is going to get screened by, I guess, law enforcement are going to investigate it. And then somebody like you at the prosecutor's office, Mike, who's going to say, you know, uh, yes or no. No, it doesn't sound like we can, we're going to prosecute this one. Or maybe a victim's family really wants it. Who knows? But you can end up in a courtroom, right. even if it is self-defense, you end up in a courtroom. And, and just because you think, and even if you are right that it was self-defense, you could still go to prison. Well, you know, maybe you guys as defense attorneys have seen this before, and I'll often have victims or families of victims ask me, what are our odds? You know, are we going to win? Uh, or we get it from And the I, say, Every time. I say it's 50-50, not guilty or guilty. I can't tell you what the jury's going yeah. to do. I wish I could. If we didn't have a case, we wouldn't be here. If there wasn't any evidence, we wouldn't be here. But I can't predict what's going to happen. You know what, you know what I tell them now? I said, it might be 100%. <laughs> I'll tell you after we're done. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> right. right. That's I'll, when you know. I'll yeah. tell you after we're done. And it's a little I, late, though, to wait that long. Yeah, it, well, that's just it, right? I mean, that that the like I said, the gravity of making that decision, and from the defense standpoint, I mean, I, just for whatever that's worth, is you talk to these people, and you're like, look, if you lose, it's prison forever, I mean, right? Just a life sentence. Yeah. People often think that, as you mentioned earlier, you know, murder is a life with parole after 15, add hmm. three with a gun, so it's 18, or aggravated murder is 20, 25, or 30 at the judge's election. And if you have a prior felony and you're a repeat violent offender, they can add 10 years to that bottom number. And so people often think, well, murder is 15 to life. And I like to think of it the other way. It's actually a life sentence, as you said. Yeah. You're not yeah. getting out of prison. And after 15 years, you can start begging to be released. But that doesn't usually happen for another 10 years. At least. Yeah. If you're 40 years old, yeah. you, you've decided. We'll build us some parole work, too. So, he's yeah. so, first so I get a lot of people in prison that I represent try, trying to get parole and they're like, well, I'm 15 to life and I've been in for 20 years and they're going to, you know, make I'm me wait another three. I'm like, yeah, but you're sentenced 15 to life. Right. The they don't have life. to let you out and they don't, they don't understand the parole board doesn't have to do that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That can be, uh, I mean, you're right. I think people just take it for granted. They think, well, I'll, I'll get out at some point. I mean, you've, yeah. you've seen people even deeper. I mean, there's people that have been in 30, 40 years, yeah. you know what I mean? They're still. Still you know, waiting. And, I mean, murder's murder, so you still have the family members that we'll it come still to matters parole. to them. Yeah, they'll come to parole board they took them away from us. And that's and, hard to deal with. You don't yeah. really have anything as far as my view, as far as representing my clients of, I can't attack the family members. I can't attack no, the, the, the dead victim. And, then and they're going to be heard during those hearings. And then what it becomes is them almost retrying the case. Yeah. The, getting back into the facts and stuff like that that happened 40 years ago. It's like... Yeah, what are we doing? You know what I mean? Well, and you deal with that on the front end. I imagine you've got, like you said, you got to you got to talk to these victims, and you're saying it's fifty fifty. Um, I get. I'll just flat out ask you, how much does that influence the decision on do you go forward? I mean, I, I, I've always wondered this because you get in a spot where, you know, your evidence is this, and but people really are, are victimized on some level. I mean, take it out of like a self defense case for a second, I suppose, because right. we all know what a crappy case is. I've had them. You've had them. And sometimes we're stuck with them. I can imagine that is a difficult conversation to have with loved ones who have been victimized in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, no, it's true. It's agreed. And it's similar to what you probably have to do as you sit down as a defense attorney with your client and sort of weigh, you know, if we come out on the losing end of this, you're going to prison for life or 30 years, would you be okay with going for 20? 
Um, you know, some people don't want to take that risk. And the same thing with victims' families. They think you're cheapening the life of my son or daughter by saying that their life is only worth 15 years. And when this defendant turns 52, they'll be out living, you know, another 30 or 40 years. Mm. Um, and our son or daughter's never coming back. So that, you know, that's an issue I deal with all the time. Yeah. And you have to be really cautious to not seem callous towards the family. And I never have been or am, but it certainly comes off, you know, when, when you, you say, yeah, your day. son or daughter's life is worth, what do you think? 15, 20 years? What? Right. And yeah. that's not even appropriate because right. right. you can't put a number on a person's yeah. life. Once right. you start down that path, it has no good end, right? It's like, right. all right, so is it is 20? That's not fair. Is it five? That's even less fair. Is it 100? How's that going to fix it? Nothing fixes it. So you have to sort of detach the... But then there's certainty on both sides. You know, if you imagine your family member or somebody, your loved one that's victimized and and, um, you run a risk or think there's a potential that, I don't know what anybody thinks in here, but I think OJ did it. So there's a potential Mm -hmm. that a person who's committed a crime could be acquitted, even though there's, you know, evidence to support that that they did it and they are guilty and they can still be acquitted. That's our justice system. And I'm fine with that. But if your, uh, you know, daughter was taken from you, you might be okay with knowing the person that killed your loved one admits to it and then goes to prison for 20 years rather than running that risk, as you yeah. said, uh, about being an acquittal. And, you know, it's funny. I have won as many cases that I thought I shouldn't as I have as the opposite. Or I, I guess I've won as many cases that I thought I shouldn't as I, as I have that I thought I should. I mean, it's like there are times when I've been in there and I hear not guilty and I just... I remember walking out of one up in Delaware County. I heard not guilty, and I, I looked at Eric when we, we tried it. We were, and I just said, what the hell just happened here? Goes, <laughs> I think we've all probably been there. <laughs> no idea. I had a domestic violence at a bus stop on view of a, of a father punching his daughter, <clears throat> quote, like a man in the face, and uh, people called the police. A sheriff showed up, and um, he was just, you know, waylaying his daughter. And uh, there was the defense was essentially parental discipline, but the defendant didn't take the stand. That was sort of just you know, what the defense attorney alluded to. And I'll never forget what the, the, uh, the jury acquitted him, you know, of, of assaulting his daughter and the sheriff's deputies who, for those of you who don't know, when you have a suspect in custody, oftentimes there are a lot of deputies standing yeah. around mm-hmm. and they're near the doors and they're close by in case something happens and especially in offenses of violence. And the deputy said the defendant's jaw just dropped. He was surprised. And he looked at his attorney in total disbelief, (laughs) and he looked at the deputy, you know, knowing that he's not going to go through the side door or go to jail or prison, and he couldn't believe it himself. He said, you should have seen the look on that guy's face. He he didn't even think he was going to be acquitted. And often the the deputies are a good barometer. Like, how many times have we turned around and be like, how do you think it's going, man? Yeah, you know, I've done they're that, sitting yeah. there and they're, you know, watching things. Court reporters. Seen a lot of them. Yeah. Court, Court reporters yeah. probably have more trial experience than all of us yep. here in this room That's combined. True. That's true. Yeah. Yep. I remember I, I won a case out in Newark. It was not good. It was one of those. There's no way I should have won that case. It, it just shouldn't have happened. My client was a woman. She looked over and she, we heard not guilty. And she was somewhat of, I mean, she was competent, but a little right. bit flighty. Okay. And she hears not guilty. And there's like this gasp of mayhem in the courtroom <laughs> because there were people pissed off about it and uh she looks over and she goes what does that mean I said it means you won what does that mean I said it means you can go, go home. home what does that mean you're innocent <laughs> we're not, not guilty right. it's, we're over. Here. Right. it's over it's over it's over uh and so it, when it comes to self-defense though that's the issue is a person generally is not claiming innocence you know they're not saying i am innocent of 
shooting somebody or I'm well, innocent. I shot him. Right. And so that's the difference in a lot of the cases I'm sure that you guys handle as a person says I wasn't there or I was in Kings Island or I was on vacation or they got the wrong guy or yeah. something. But in a self-defense case, as I mentioned, when I instruct students, you know, if somebody comes th through your window at two in the morning, you know, they smash a glass out and they've got a crowbar and they're walking up the steps to your second floor bedroom, they're not there to bring you flowers and they're not there right. to do you any good. Um, so when you shoot them, uh, you call the police. Now the police are going to respond, and you think you say, "Well, this guy just broke in." They'll say, "Well, have a nice day, Mr. Smith. We'll call us next Tuesday." No, they're going to treat you as if you've committed a crime, you know, felonious assault, or maybe even a homicide if he's mm -hmm. dead. And they're going to investigate that. And you, even though you're in the right, are going to be treated like a criminal. So you, when you, when you're talking to these classes that or these folks in your classes that you're t you're talking to them about that scenario. Um, I'm curious what your take is then. Like, they think it's self-defense. Do you have them talk to the police? Do you tell them, call your lawyer first? Do you tell them not call your lawyer first? I mean, on the one hand, you're a prosecutor. On the other hand, you're teaching these folks. I mean, what's your, what's your instinct or what do you teach these people? I think most attorneys would probably agree that it's generally a bad idea to talk to the police. Um, yeah. to call your attorney. I mean, the facts aren't going to change that he broke into your house. You know, using these particular, you know, hypothetical here and there's a dead person or somebody that you shot in your hallway. That, there's no getting around that. So, right. um, you know, call your attorney and talk it over to your attorney or tell your tell your story to the attorney and then have the attorney explain it. That's also true if you put a throwing star and embed it in his chest, Jared, yeah. just yeah. so you know. Well, and, and that's the, that sort of gets us to our topic. Let's talk about what, what, what self-defense law used to be. We covered this a little bit before, but there's this, we've talked about this concept where Generally, the prosecutors have the burden of proof. They have to prove it in our country beyond a reasonable doubt on each and every element of all the charged offenses that this person did it beyond a reasonable doubt. And if they do that, there are certain enumerated affirmative defenses that the defense can raise. Some of these are actually codified, some sort of fit between the, the lines. But, I mean, self-defense is one that has been crystal clear in Ohio now for a year, my entire 23- or 4-year career, that we have the burden of establishing self-defense. And, you know, we're not, we don't need to rehash it, but it's somewhat of a circular, odd burden. I mean, it doesn't always make sense, but in general, you have to act reasonably. You can't use more force than what you should. Uh, if you have a duty to retreat, you better run away. Um, if you're going to use deadly force, it better be only to refute deadly force. Uh, and essentially, that's it, you, yeah. in, 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 in a nutshell, in, in simple terms. But we talked about this last time. It's kind of strange to me. I mean, there's so much negotiation prior to a murder trial that you know if a defense attorney is going to present a self-defense argument. Right. But you still have to go through all those motions proving that the murder actually happened, that you have a dead body, you show him the crime scene photos, oftentimes the autopsy photos, all those sorts of things to prove he is in fact dead and that death is a result of the shooting. And it's strange because then a defense attorney that gets up there and presents a self-defense well, he's admitting to all that work you just did. Exactly. I committed the murder. Right. You know what I mean? You're so right. So, I mean, from a, from a prosecutor's point of view, um, you still have to prove the elements of the case. So if you're mm -hmm. alleged to have shot somebody or killed somebody, you have to, as you said, prove that that's, you know, the person that's accused of doing it is, in fact, the person who pulled the trigger or, or, yeah. or committed the act. And then you sort of shift on to, the, to part two, um, which is a self-defense, you know, and I've tried several self-defense cases, including self-defense cases in murders and self-defense cases also where it was just a felonious assault or something, too. Mm -hmm. 
Well, Steve always wants to stipulate. Just stipulate all your elements. We'll just move to the self-defense. But I, yeah. I, I, I try well, to make the state proof. This goes, back to, this goes back to what you were telling your people. Don't talk to the police. And people are like, well, I'm going to talk to the police because they just need to know it's self-defense. Right. Otherwise, they're going to think I'm guilty. And, I, and, and if nothing else, I have had this happen in a case. It wasn't a self-defense case, but it was a case where maybe the act itself was not necessarily in dispute. Well, guess what happened? They, 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 they got something, they got a crucial element wrong, or they couldn't prove a crucial, maybe it was venue, I can't remember. There was something that happened in the case that would normally be a two-foot jump shot for you guys on the prosecutor's okay. side, and it got screwed up. Uh, the police didn't have it, or I think it might have been a venue issue between Franklin and Delaware County, and had there been defendant statements about that, then that issue goes away. Mm. And mm. The, so from a logical framework here, just so we put it in perspective for everybody, you have the prosecutor has a burden to prove the elements of the offense sufficiently that a jury could find you guilty. And if you don't do that before the defense ever gets a turn, the judge sort of reviews what the prosecutor did. You get graded before we even start with something like self-defense, and they just go through and check. All right, there's enough evidence here. There's enough evidence for this element, this element, this element, this element. Now, if you, as somebody accused of self-defense, make a statement, you are basically filling all that in in advance. So when Mr. Hughes gets his case, he has the detective testify about everything you told the police. And if there was any question about something, even if it's a technical issue in the case, I hate to say technical because everything has to be proven, but if it's, a, if it's an issue that you weren't, you you weren't going to dispute, they still have to prove it. And if they don't and you've told them, then you've basically made their proof for them as a defendant in the prosecutor's case or case in chief, as we like to say. Well, right. I mean, let's let's back it up just a little bit before we even get to that stage for some of your listeners. <coughs> let's just go through a process of using self-defense. So I think maybe a person can understand how they could be in that situation or how does somebody sure. get into a situation where they have to call you and say, hey, I need some help. I might be charged with the crime or the police are saying I did this. Um, and the first step is using that initial example. Let's... Um, Let's say that you are charged, you, don't, you do use deadly force, and uh, the police get involved and they want to talk to you. Let's go with this hypothetical. Let's say you're leaving Giant Eagle. You're walking out at night. You've just done some grocery shopping. It's a little dark. You know, it gets dark now, 536. It's not too late, but parking lot's about half empty. And you're walking to your car carrying, you know, those plastic bags. You can carry about 50 of them if you don't mind cutting <laughs> off the blood supply to your right. fingers. <laughs> right. So you've got your hands full with your plastic bags on the way to your car, and you get approached by somebody, and they've they're kind of got their head down. They're wearing a hoodie. You can't see them, but they start to get uncomfortably close to you. So everybody kind of goes into orange mode there because your personal space is being affected. This person comes up close to you, and they've got a hand in their sweat you know, or hoodie pocket, and and they some mumble something as you're getting your keys, trying to balance all your bags, and then you see the person produce a handgun, and they say, you know, give me your wallet. Now, you've got a firearm on you, your concealed carry holder, you're, you know, so you're lawfully carrying your gun, and this person's pointing a gun at you, so you could argue that your life is in danger, and if you don't defend yourself, that you could be shot dead or killed. So you pull out your firearm, and you shoot this individual, um, they go down on the ground, you call for help, the police are called, and the, the person's on the ground. They're not dead, but, you know, you get the gun away from them, and the police come. So then when the police show up, guess what? You just shot somebody. Who's their su- who's their number one suspect here for committing a yeah, crime? there you go. Yep. You, not, <clears throat> not the guy that's trying to rob you that's down on the ground that's going to Grant with a gunshot wound, but you with the gun, hopefully not in your hand. So if you're in a situation, 
you know, put the firearm down or secure it and keep your hands up in plain view, sort of like I'm surrendering, and the police will come and deal with it. So now the first thing they're going to do is they're going to want to talk to you about what happened. And that's when you call the obvious bomber. Yeah, because yeah. that's the, that, that actually, that's the perfect fact pattern to, to sort of make the point I just made, which is who shot this guy? And, uh, you know, you take that for granted, or we all would sort of as, as a general, like you're watching TV, of course you shot the guy. You're the, you're the only one there, but they, you still have to prove it, right? right. Well, and actions speak louder than words. So I often tell people also, you know, in a self-defense case, if you shoot somebody, you say, in self-defense in the parking lot, and then you get on the first flight to Belize and you burn your fingerprints off with acid <laughs> yeah, right. and get mm -hmm. uh, plastic surgery, yeah. it's going to be hard to argue you're acting in self-defense. Yeah. Um, so the fact that you stick around and at least you call an attorney or are willing to cooperate through the attorney to tell your side of the story. That yeah. night, you're not you're you're going to be detained. Yeah, I you mean, have you, to. Right. You yeah. are yeah. going. To, you're going to take a ride. If you yeah. get it in your head as a, uh, a any person who cares about their own self defense that you will be arrested and go to jail, even if you're in the right. It's a temporary inconvenience, but we don't want to also just let people who've committed murder walk around right. based on their word that they didn't do it or right. it's okay. And that's the point that I, that I would make at one of the, at the concealed handgun classes, right? It's like, don't think that you're just going to say, all right, self-defense, see you later. I, I believe a lot of people yeah. do believe people do. That, they do. that, hey, I just I told the officer what happened and, and then I, we're gonna, I'm going to go home. I'm going to pick up my groceries. That's, that is not it what is, is going to no, happen. No, you are going no. to jail, and if you don't talk, you're going to be treated like you're a guilty murderer. Yeah. Right. Even if you say, I want my lawyer, they are going to pressure you, they're going to jump on you, they're going to They really... will put you in a room, and they will hound you and go at you, and continuously, and continuously. Yeah. I yeah. mean, maybe. And they're, well, they're going to pick apart I mean, your probably. Well, I did this. I did this with a client. I, I have one up one time in twenty four years. Because by the way, usually when I when I say, don't talk until you have a lawyer. I mean, just don't talk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, right at all. I'm not going to go there and help you talk. Right. But I did that one time. I actually called one of your colleagues over to a homicide investigator's mm -hmm. office down at Columbus Police Department, and I had my client tell his side of the story, and. I got very uncomfortable very quickly. Uh, the police officer didn't want to buy it. Um, he didn't want to agree with it. Uh, he didn't want to. Uh, he he started to pick apart at it. He started to, all the old. Uh, you know, we just want your. He gave me. He gave all the old BS that you would right. hear to try to get somebody to talk. And Mike, this was a CCW holder. Okay, it was yeah. a CCW holder. And at the end of the day, I don't even remember. I think I might have even cut it off. I was like, you know what? I'm done with this nonsense. We came down here. We came down here to tell our side of the story. You are. Uh, it was. It turned into a an interrogation yeah. and not a uh, not us just providing our side of the story. And uh, if you think you can do that alone as a criminal as, or not a criminal defendant, or I guess you would be a criminal defendant at that point, or as a suspect, a suspect in a crime, I would say a potential um, suspect. A potential suspect. I mean, it is nerve wracking, and I can't imagine the emotional adrenaline psychological trauma response that you have after you've had to kill somebody, even if justified in self-defense. Yeah. yeah. Right. Or yeah. even just shooting some. I mean, I can't somebody, imagine yeah. the psychological impact that I, and hopefully anybody listening, you know, that's the last thing anybody would ever want is to have to do that. And that's why right. the law says it should be the, the last resort. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I often tell people what should go through your mind is if I don't pull my gun or shoot it, I'm dead. I'm going to be dead or in the hospital. Right. And then, yeah. how long do you wait until you do that is up to you. And that's what often lands people in court. But you should be thinking, if I don't use this force that I need to use, that I'm going to use, I'm going to be the one that's dead or in the hospital with a serious injury. Do you think inevitably then stand your ground sort of clouds that opinion? 
because people are more apt to shoot first well, and think, not consider their option of retreating. Well, I think that's one of the interesting things about this law that they've um, proposed well, should here. Should the story you were telling the, the, the grocery getter. Well, there's more to that story. I was going to say that. I didn't think we, we should continue yeah. on. Well, so so far, you're, you know, you're in custody. The police want to talk to you. And we left off with, do you tell them your story or do you talk, call an attorney and say, I'm not talking? Because we all have to agree that shooting somebody is a crime. And, you know, for those that are, are listening that might not be attorneys, the law recognizes something called justification. Hmm. So it's wrong and illegal and against the law. You can argue, you know, both morally and or legally to shoot somebody. But the law also carves out an exception. It says you can shoot somebody to protect your own life or the yeah. life or d- of others. You know, I often use an example. You know, speeding is illegal. And if your wife is pregnant and you have to get her to the hospital, there's no pregnancy exception to speeding. So you're still guilty of speeding. But the law says if, you know, you use a force in self-defense, then there is actually an exception called justification. Um, but you're still breaking the law. The law just recognizes right. a, a valid yeah. excuse. And yeah, the old, an exception. Uh, yeah, the old common law you guys remember from uh, from criminal pr- or criminal law in law school is murder is a taking one human life by another without mitigation, justification, or excuse. And in modern times, that's been codified as a justification, self defense. Right. right. So mm-hmm. that's it. So that's exactly right. I mean, a homicide is from the Latin homo keto kideri to cut down a man. Um, and it still is. If you're shooting or killing somebody, that's uh, still against the law. So we have this guy in the parking lot that's now writhing around in pain that was trying to rob you. You've By the shot. way, I love that you made the hard C in Latin. I took Latin in college, and you actually gave that the hard C to start with a C instead of the making it sound like an S. So just a little aside. Obviously, you've had a little bit of Latin well, training. Or at least you paid attention. There's always, a, there's always an argument about when it should be a hard C and when it should be a, a soft C, like in Pachem for peace. But anyway... Um, going onwards to the police station as you're in handcuffs, well, what are the police going to do? They're going to talk to the victim of the crime. The victim here is not you. You shot somebody. You're the suspect in a shooting. The victim here is the shooting. The person has a bullet hole in their wherever. So they go off to Grant Hospital. Now, I, um, a lot of my cases that I deal with that are shootings, I like to sort of tongue-in-cheek say that uh, the homicide cases come from OSU East and the Feloniuses are from Grant. There you uh, they've got the yeah. best trauma care center here around. And if anything ever ever happened to you, uh, if, if you're conscious enough to ask to it. the yeah. ambulance drivers, ask, ask to go to Grant. But, um, and I'm not disparaging. OSU does great work, too. Um, like I said, that's kind of tongue-in-cheek. Tongue but the police are going to go to the hospital, and they're going to talk to your semi-conscious uh, shooting victim. And they're going to go through his property, find out who it is, and they're going to find out that he's got a record and that he's been convicted of selling drugs, and they're going to potentially find a little bit of crack in his pocket. So it's pretty looking good for you as a concealed carry holder, right? This, uh, you know, three-time prior felon shouldn't have a gun that's a drug dealer tried to rob you in the parking lot. Now, you guys know, of course, when you get to trial, the trial, the, the jury doesn't probably get to hear some of that, but the police talk to him, and they say, well, what happened out there? He said, well, I was just walking through the parking lot, and this guy said he wanted to buy some drugs from me. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like a drug deal yeah. gone bad. Right? right. Yeah. yeah. So if you're, if you're that guy that was trying to do the robbery, you tell the police that uh, the CCW holder tried to rob you for your drugs, and that, you know, you tried to get to your gun, and he shot you first because he's got a gun. Yep. And that's why, as a concealed carry holder, you use deadly force, and now the police have one person 
telling one story, and they've got the law-abiding CCW holder telling another story, and you're going to have to have a jury figure it out. Mm-hmm. And and you know, if you go and say if you if anything you try to say to the contrary, now they're not going to come and tell you in your interrogation room what the other guy said. They're going to come in and say we want your side of the story, but then they're going to start to slip little details into it that you're not ready for, and. The, again, this is my way of punctuating the point. Keep your mouth shut, right? Because they're going to come. You don't. You don't know if you, let's, let's let's have it your way that it was self defense. It was a robbery, and you did defend yourself legitimately. You have no idea that he had crack in his pocket. You had no right. idea that he, that any of this was going on. You didn't know about his prior record, which is good and bad, like you said, for evidentiary reasons later at trial. But when they start coming at you about the things this other guy has said, and they sort of adopt those facts as true as part of their interrogation techniques, you're thrown off kilter, and you start to say things or speculate, and that's when it goes bad for people making statements, but just a little criminal defense aside there. Right, and so it did, you know, the, it doesn't matter what you say or what the other person says, the facts are still undisputed that you pulled a weapon out and shot somebody. So when it comes to the, the role of a prosecutor in a case, it's sort of easy. Did yeah. this person shoot this person in the parking lot? And, you know, there's witnesses, and the person who's still alive says, yeah, this is the guy that shot me. So if that person were to be prosecuted, then, it, it, as I mentioned earlier, it ain't a whodunit. But I will say one of the things here, you know, in Franklin County, in my experience, is every shooting goes before the grand jury. You know, homicides do. And so if, if the case, that person you shot were to expire or die, and it was ruled a homicide because another person shot another person, then the grand jury would hear at least all the, of the underlying facts of the case. And if you, as a person, have a story to tell, that story can often be presented as well. Um, sometimes a defendant himself will be invited in to give testimony, and uh, the grand jury will decide whether or not there's probable cause, which means just more likely than not than some crimes occurred. So I think it's important to know that people who might use self-defense or force just aren't picked off the street and instantly charged Uh, there is some vetting process both by the police and then of course by our office or any grand jury or prosecutor's office and then also lastly a grand jury so you've really the person that might be charged with a crime has already sort of been looked at by two or three different entities you know for you know credibility calls and evidence and so, you know, and, and a lot of times those may not end up resulting in charges. I remember a grand jury case I had where a guy broke into an apartment, not very good side of town, near east side, early morning hours. A single mom was renting space in the basement with her daughter, just kind of lived on a mattress, you know, very poor. And the guy broke through the window. She heard a window breaking. He's at the top of the basement stairs. She gets a high point 380. So I know everybody out there. Good quality firearms. Gun guys. You know, this is a, I I love this blog because you guys, you know, firearms and I I like guns and, but hey, a high point, it works. And, you know, this lady doesn't have the money for a HK or a fancy SIG. So she's at the bottom of the stairs. She shoots this guy once in the shoulder. Uh, He retreats, runs out of the house. And then about 15 minutes later, the Columbus police get a call further down a couple blocks away. Some guy's banging on the door, you know, some guy's getting ready to go to work in the morning, he's got a suit on, he hears somebody knocking on the front door, he goes out, and there's a guy saying, help, I just got shot in a drive-by. So he goes out and dies on that strip there between the sidewalk and the street. So you got the assault squad responding to that, which they think is a drive-by shooting, and then you have a burglary squad responding to this burglary incident. Mm -hmm. Now this lady, 
was forthcoming and explained everything to the police, what had just happened. Guy smashed out my back window, was coming down the stairs, I shot him once, I don't know what happened to him. And the Columbus Police Department and all their wisdom were able to put two and two together and figure out that their decedent <coughs> is the person she had shot. Mm -hmm. And that entire fact pattern I just described was described to the grand jury, and of course she was not indicted or charged with any crime even though she ultimately shot and killed somebody that was trying to, you know, enter into her well, apartment. Let's clarify the grand jury process, though, because the case I was talking about where I actually okay. took a defendant or a uh, suspect, uh, he, well, he actually he had been charged by then. Uh, there was a warrant, uh, probably a criminal complaint filed in municipal court at that point, uh, in to talk to the police, which would have been the first screening process, right? The, right. the police have to screen it to see uh, what they want to do. And if they say, yeah, we're going to we're just going to send over and because the Franklin County has a policy reviewing all these in a grand jury, a grand jury is a secret proceeding. Criminal defendants don't have a right necessarily to show up and say, hey, let me tell you folks what's mm -hmm. going on. Uh, and nor do I as a criminal defense lawyer have any right to be in there or and I'm not allowed. To, I've never been allowed right. to see my client testify in a grand jury. It's not that exciting. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess the point is, is that if I have in my case, I have to I have to follow my spidey sense. I have a police officer or a detective who I thought was somewhat uh, skeptical of what my client was saying. Didn't buy it. Uh, who or just doesn't like my guy for whatever reason. Say it was a dope deal, and they're both criminals, right? And then you've got, you know, cops hate them both, right? It's like this: uh, a, a, kill, a criminal killing a criminal. Uh, so now I have to make a decision. My client is may or may not be invited to the grand jury by the prosecutor's office. Then he's got to make a decision, or she's got to make a decision. Do I go testify? And what is the ups and downs mm -hmm. of that? Yeah. Right, because from every cop show, what you say can. And will yeah. be and used against will. you, yeah. right? Yeah. And if it's at a grand jury, it is not only a statement; it is a sworn statement. Right? That's when yeah. my blood pressure went up a little bit when he was like, "You know, they can't even come in and testify at grand jury." It's like, think about that: possibly indicted later on, giving statements under oath. You know what I mean? It could be very, it could work in their in their favor. Two ways to look at it, right? You get you get your client's statement on the record in a usable way, right. almost, or you get your client's statement on the record and. It, it goes south somehow or they, they seize up or they don't tell a good story or who knows. Uh, and then they get indicted for murder and now that story you're stuck with. So it's like. Uh, and it's admissible. I mean, the government can use that against your right, client yeah, as, yeah, a, as yeah. it were an admission. Didn't yeah, you yeah. previously testify that you did this and it's, yep. it's considered a fact? Yeah. So in my situation, I said, no, thanks. We're not going to the grand jury. And, you know, you get a, and I think everybody sort of hoped or thought the grand jury might deep six the case, but. If presumably it was a fair vote, they say we vote to charge this person with murder, and that's what happened. Well, it was actually we'll what just call it like? murder for what it was. But it, was yeah. like, it was like involuntary yeah. manslaughter, yeah. which made no sense at all. Right. But that, that's what it was. Uh, so but that's anyway. probably one of those cases that just needed to be tried. I mean, it, it, it was Mike. Right. I've, I've heard you say it before, where it's like you have evidence to the contrary. We believe one side. You may or may not believe the other side, but you have an obligation here. You have a dead person, and you know a lot of times we'll be in the back, and we're just like, you know what? I'm not going to agree on this. We just gotta. That's why we have the jury process. We're right. I mean, at some point, at some point, you have a differing uh, accounts or facts right. that are mm -hmm. in opposite to just one like another. Just like the story you told. That cannot. Yeah. Both of those things can't be true at the same time. You know, right. the, the guy with the drugs in his pocket was either trying to rob the other guy, or the other guy could have been buying drugs and right. it went south. But. Both stories can't be true at the same time. So, Bill, you're a Dave Chappelle fan. Yeah. The old Dave Chappelle skit, just sprinkle some crack on him and get out of here. Yeah. It might not work in the it's, Mr. No. Hughes' story. No, not going to work. Not, not recommended. Yeah. 
<laughs> All right, so now you get to the old scenario where I got a grand jury indictment and say, take your, um, I mean, does your, in your fact scenario, does your guy live or die? Let's just start there. Is this a murder or is this a felonious assault? We got to make it a murder with stand, is it stand your ground? Yeah, it's a little more exciting, I think, if it's a murder. All right, so subsequently. But the law says it could be either. Just it could so be, it could be either. Just right. using yeah, yeah, force. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it, but it's not just force because Ohio law anyway, at least my recollection of Ohio law, and you probably know it better, is even brandishing or showing a firearm is deadly force. I mean, now, now you've triggered, even though the old self-defense laws, <coughs> you have uh, the deadly force standard of self-defense just by bringing a gun and showing right. it, and even if you don't pull right. the trigger. So right. brandishing a weapon is a show of deadly force. So if you're going to argue self-defense under old law, you're arguing the deadly force version of self-defense, right? Which well, I means... Think, I think one of the things a lot of people don't understand is that the citizens who are armed or want to defend themselves don't have and are not constrained by the same force continuum that police officers are. You know, if you assault an officer, they're in danger. They're supposed to have this escalation of force that they apply. And ultimately, if you pull a gun on somebody, you know, you pull the trigger, that bullet comes out. Yeah. So that's the end game. But, you know, if you're punching or, or kicking a police officer, they're supposed to start out with physical strikes and then maybe move up to a chemical agent and a taser and then ultimately lethal or deadly force. And as a citizen, you're not bound by that force continuum. Right. But at the same time, you can only use force that is equally proportionate to the threat. Right. And there is no such thing as a warning shot. You cannot use deadly or lethal force unless your life or the life of a loved one is in danger. And I think that's one thing that's lost on a lot of people. They just say, well, I feel threatened and I can pull my gun out and use right, it. Right, right. And well, you can't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you or, just can't. Or if yeah. you feel threatened, or if somebody's like, I'm going to go kick your ass, and you go to your car and you say, uh-huh, well, now what? Well, that's that's deadly yeah. force, right? right? Or that's that under the law, yeah, that's, that's, a, a, that's a show of deadly force. Yeah. So now is that justified or not? And if some... Most of the time in those scenarios, it might end up as an aggravated menacing or something well, less. Well, that's what I was going to say. It's very interesting. If somebody's going to rob you and you display your gun, it's unlikely that the robber is going to call the police and say that I was being threatened <laughs> right. by my right. victim. <laughs> but what um, happens sometimes, you branch a gun and then it goes off. Or you branch right? a gun thinking, all right, I'm just going to scare this guy. And then he comes at you with only fists. What do you, now what are you going to do? You've got your gun. You probably deal with this in your classes you teach. Now right. you've got your gun out. Some jackass is coming at you. What and are you going to do? And you shouldn't shoot them. Right. I mean, you, you have to articulate how your life is in danger. And I often, you know, people who may remember uh, the lady from the Where's the Beef commercial, she's mm -hmm. about 89 years old with a walker. <laughs> and if that lady is saying, I'm going to come stab you to death, you pull out your gun and gun her down, you got a hard row to right, hoe there with right. the jury about you felt like your life was threatened. Right. Now, if and Mike Tyson had me in a headlock and said he was going to bite my ear off, I'd do whatever I could to get <laughs> out of that. Right, right, right. right. So, uh, and the old, uh, what is different from you, from your perspective, what is different between the old and the new? I mean, the old gave us the burden of proving it by preponderance of the evidence, meaning only just, you have to prove it beyond a reasonable doubt that this, this person's been shot and killed by my client. Right. Without oversimplifying it, of course, but in, in the right county at the right time at the right place. Uh, now, I come forward and I say, yeah, I know that. But it was self-defense, and I only have to prove it by just a little smidgen of the evidence, just a preponderance of the evidence. So if you see a scale, if it just tips a little bit way, a little bit one way, put a gram or a penny on it, and it tips my way a little bit, and I've shown self-defense, then the jury, in theory, has to acquit. So they have to find him, but the instructions are so convoluted that, all right, if you find that the yeah, prosecutor right, has yeah, proven beyond yeah. a reasonable doubt that he committed murder, then you must consider whether it was in self-defense. Mm -hmm. And then you go over here. 
And then I don't know what happens after that. It's like, well, under the old law, of course, you've got that three or four part test, however you want to split it up, that, you know, you could not give a rise to the affray. And anybody, yeah, start to fight. anybody right. who has ever taken the, the CCW course in Ohio has gotten the attorney general's booklet. And this is in the back of the booklet to give everybody at least a brief summary of what the law is. And so you can't have started the fight. So number one, that's the most important part, I think. Number two, you have to have this reasonable belief um, of serious imminent bodily harm or injury. Objectively and subjectively. Correct, both, uh, yeah. And um, and then, of course, number three, you can't violate any duty to retreat or extricate yourself safely. So I often will tell somebody, um, you know, if you're standing in a doorway and somebody's 30 feet away with a baseball bat, you can't shoot them because they're not, they can't hit you with a baseball bat yeah. when they're, you know, 30 feet away. Now, if they raise a firearm towards you, that's different because that bullet can cover that distance in less than a half a second. But oftentimes people feel threatened, and then they use force in those situations where they could have safely just closed the door to their house and gone back inside, but instead they shoot the person across the street standing there with a baseball bat, and then they try to say, well, I was threatened by that person. It's not going to cut it. And and those are great sort of factual scenarios for this, but so often it's like, well, they're running at my house. And I was trying to get inside, and then all of a sudden, then it then it becomes this weird area of gray that I always try to impart on people. It's like it's never going to be clean, right? It is yeah. rarely going to be a very a clean scenario. Um, Again, somebody if they're inside your house at two in the morning, well, that's about you know, as good as it gets. Right? It's yeah. about as good as it gets. But generally but speaking, then, I mean, even then, I mean, I, I'm I'm a gun holder. I have a gun in my house for protection. I think, and we've talked about this before, Bill. It's like. I, I've, I've never been through the CCW class, never had any, any in-home training on self-defense and, and you know, defense of, of others and property and things like that that probably I should go through. It would really have to have him coming at me at 2 o'clock in the morning. Like I would probably say, I have my firearm. You better get the heck out of here. You know, so, you know I mean? well, and that's one, yeah. one thing that isn't. And is, that's probably it, what you shouldn't do. Well, it is interesting because, of course, and everybody's familiar with the Castle Doctrine, right? Because yeah. yeah. we come from English common law, and yeah. the, the one instance where the duty to retreat under common law always was absent or not needed to be present was in your house. So, back to the presumption of somebody at your house at two in the morning, you don't have to retreat. There's a presumption they're there. So you even then, right. though, you're I would, just I a would nice hesitate. guy. I, I would mean, just be like, yeah, <laughs> I really want to get this guy. Well, I mean, you still have to have the other elements. All and the I got castle a doctor light does on that gun, and it's blinding. So hopefully the light will. Well, take you, care you've of taken that. other <laughs> steps to try to to try to give you right. different options to defend yourself, and that is, you know, the the bright light, whatever it would be. But yeah, all that does. You're in your house. That means that you can use deadly force without, without having retreating. to establish right. that you did not violate a duty to retreat. And I said that right. in the negative, the double negative that way, because that's how the law reads. Yeah. You don't have to run out of your own house or flee to some other right. place in your house that's more safe because you're in your house. And that actually also applies to your vehicle or your lawfully occupied does, yeah. vehicle mm-hmm. in Ohio, too. Yeah, now it does. That was what, When did that come out? That was a three, couple three, years, four years ago. Yeah. yeah. So. So that's but, a perfect transition. But you still have to have the other elements to use deadly force, even in your home, right? Oh, you can't right. just, yeah. right. If so yeah. if you've got some Objective, guy. Subjectively. Uh, and I, we may even talked about some of these scenarios where somebody just wanders in your house because they're in some drug-induced haze. Hey, yeah. dude, what's up? Right. You know, it's like oh. you can't just shoot them because they're in your house. Now, you can use deadly force without having to establish that you did not violate a duty to retreat, but you still have to use force that meets force. You still have to uh, reasonably and subjectively believe that you were in threat of death or serious yeah, I mean, bodily harm. Yeah, there's other elements. If you shoot somebody passed out on your front couch, it's yeah. not going to meet the elements. Correct. But again, if they're coming up the stairs to your bedroom, 
you know, it's your house, so you didn't start it because they broke into your place. They're presumed to do you harm, and you don't have to retreat. And as you mentioned, these they're acting aggressively. They're coming at you or towards mm-hmm. you or, right. now you, you know, a, maybe your kid's bedroom or something. Right. But you might get six people on a jury that say, I don't know, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe not. He could have just called the police. You might get six others that say, are you kidding me? In my household, if somebody came in, I'd shoot him the second mm-hmm. they got inside. Well, or, I did, you know, I, uh, that made me think in self-defense cases, what I've found in my experience in a lot of trials that I've had is jurors are very, um, they're very eager to side with a self-defense defense because they can often picture themselves being mm-hmm. that person. Mm-hmm. Yep. So there's some empathy, I think, in a self-defense case that might not be present in other cases. You know, well, I can understand I might have a pound of a good point. marijuana on the <clears throat> kitchen table or something. Most people would not be able to conceptualize right. you know, the key right. of cocaine in, in the trunk. But they can often think, well, I could be in this situation if somebody did this and I had a gun. I might do the same thing this defendant did. And this, I got I to at least make this point. I can't do that in a jury trial in almost any other scenario. I can't look at 12 people in a jury and say, put yourselves in this gentleman's shoes over here. Feel what he was feeling. Think how he's thinking. Consider how it must feel. Um, because I'm not allowed to, right? You're not allowed to, in right. theory, ask a jury to do that. But in a self-defense case, I can. And I get to say... He has to reasonably and subjectively believe this. So as soon as they added that to my burden of proof, I get to ask the jury to put yourselves in this guy's shoes. And that's a powerful thing that you noticed, right? It's like the jury often will say, man, I guess I would have done. And a lot of times I'm up there. I don't know if everybody does this, but I sure as hell do. I mean, if it's like you get an opportunity to to talk to the jury in a way that gets them to empathize with your client, you absolutely run a freight train tr- through that. Yeah. Well, and now here's you you touched on something in this new uh, substitute house bill 228, which you know sort of the subject of today's talk about the change in the law. Because under the old law, if you wanted to assert an affirmative defense, typically your client would have to present some evidence that they were in fear of their life because yes. they couldn't use deadly force if they couldn't articulate that in fact they thought they were in fear of their life. But now with this change here, I'm, I'm, I'm reading it here. It's not very much, but I'll, I'll kind of do a verbatim. Well, let me let me stop you yeah. first. Give us, tell us what you tell. Let's get some basic facts on the record here. Where does the bill stand right now? Um, so it, it's passed both the House and the Senate. Um, there's some slight differences, and um, just yesterday the Senate passed it, and they reportedly removed the language which required uh, uh, no duty to retreat. So the change was going to be that they were going to remove that element of having to retreat safely if applicable. Okay. So I wasn't mm-hmm. able to print the newest bill as of whatever they redacted last night. So I've got a bill current through Wednesday. Um, Sign, I got voted by both sides. Right. Well, now they got to do a conference well, now committee. Now they got to do a conference committee. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, that's, that's so right. it's, it's not ready for the governor's signature, um, which I don't think he's going to. And Kasich says he's going to veto it, yeah, but I now we got a new will. governor coming in. So that adds another layer of. Well, I think it might be veto proof, quite frankly, with the majority in the House. Is that, the why, they, is that why they did the amendments to get the veto proof so they can override the governor's veto? I think Because so. these amendments that are going to be sent back to the House. That's. That's right. my guess. I'm okay. not a political analyst, but that's why I think it's it's uh that's I think that's the direction it's going. And now everybody can say that they've appeased both sides by removing the anti-gun folks who are very against this duty to retreat. You know, painting a picture yep. of the Wild West and shootouts. Yep. Um, and so now I think both sides can say, look, we gave, we we did our give and take, right? And nobody's happy, and that's how you know you've got a good bill because <laughs> all sides are, uh, you know, yeah, uh, unhappy with enough. the result. 
All right, so that, uh, sorry to cut you uh, off. So you read what you're going to read. No, I think that one of the changes here, it says here now when it comes to self-defense, it says if at the trial of a person who is accused of an offense that involved a person's use of force against another, there is evidence presented upon which the fact finder could rationally find when viewed in a light most favorable to the accused. And that's different for the attorneys yeah. in here, right? Yeah. So uh, when viewed in the light most favorable to the accused, that the accused person used the force in self-defense, defense of another, or defense of that person's residence, the prosecution must prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the accused person did not use the force in self-defense, defense of another, or defense of the person's residence, as the case may be. So now the, the burden on the, the government is to prove the negative that— Did you that, say beyond a reasonable doubt, too? Yes. Yeah. So yeah. it's not you don't get that preponderance that we've been living in. No, and you also get a presumption of self-defense. Yes. It just yeah. says here wow, that's that a big if, if the light most is, favorable is this is equivalent of a presumption. Yeah, yeah, I mean, if there is any evidence presented on which a fact finder could find in a viewed in the light most favorable to the accused that they used force in self-defense, so I I think that there are instances where, as any good defense attorney knows, you use the facts that the state presents, you know, against them, so to speak, or you couch them in terms that are favorable to your client. And here, you ostensibly would your client wouldn't even have to testify that they thought that they were scared right. to right, death. Right, you prove it. You got a presumption. Yeah. Well, I, I if get, there's any evidence it, to suggest, so I mean, if you have right. somebody that's shot nine times in the back, I don't think you could make. You know, you're not going to be able to convince some judge that they should get a self-defense instruction. But almost any other case, especially if the other person's armed, and in a confrontation with a CCW holder, guess who's always armed? Right. Well, yeah. and I, and I think let me let me just take the other let me take the devil's advocate of this because I've tried a number of self-defense cases like you, both murder and felonious mm -hmm. assault and even simple assaults or right. you know whatever they would be. And my take on it has always been, Jeff. You heard my exact quote when we were defending this last one down in Circleville. Oh yeah, it was like I don't like don't don't even come at me with any of this nonsense about what the standards are of self-defense or duties or whatever it is. I mean, I, that, that's it. I don't even care. Right. Because it really comes down to, I mean, sometimes you have to care in a particular case because it gets sort of surgical as the case unfolds. But in, in, in a lot of these cases, if not most of them, it ends up being really what portrayal of the facts is going, is going to, uh, is win, going the to win the day, right? Yeah. Because on the one hand, I might get the instruction easier but it doesn't mean I win, right? I think no, it, right. I think it becomes a. I think I really feel like, uh, as long as I get the instruction under current law, I forget about the elements, uh, unless unless again unless I don't have anything else to argue about. But I forget about the elements and I start to argue more of like the factual scenario and the empathetic side of it and whatever it is, and I forget about the the sort of the presumptions or this or that or the other, and I think juries most of the time. Uh, I don't want to say all the time, but I think a lot of the time those are better arguments from a persuasive tactic than they are to actually go and surgically dissect what the, what we're supposed to prove or not prove. And uh, now that's not always true. There's two or three cases I can think of as I'm sitting here that I've actually done that, right? I've got a little check and I said, we proved that, we proved that, we proved that. And uh, but well, that's every case that I do. I have to go through, as you mentioned earlier, the elements of the offense. But mm -hmm. with this law, if signed or if it you know becomes effective would now also require the prosecution as an additional element of any offense that used violence or, or use of mm -hmm. force to disprove that it wasn't used in self-defense. And, you know, when the 
and I've heard defense attorneys over time say, you know, hold the government to their burden. You know, they're, they're, the person is presumed innocent, and, and the state has to provide you with some evidence to show that, in fact, um, these charges are substantiated or can be substantiated or able to be proven true based on the, the weight of the evidence, the, the credibility of the evidence. But now the government or the prosecution's tasked with providing evidence beyond a reasonable doubt that it wasn't done in self-defense. And I can't know what was in a defendant's head. or And I think that's the criticism from um, wow. a lot of parties is you have— because you know that this the beyond a reasonable doubt standard is the highest legal standard. We sure, have. it is. And but uh, look, we, I guess we deal with this all the time, don't we? We don't know what's in a defendant's head, but we have to we have to presume or assume or make arguments based on the evidence what uh, what the defendant's mental element was or mental state was at the time on all sorts of crimes, whether they did it purposely, knowingly, recklessly, or whatever they were thinking or by accident. So that happens a lot. Proving the negative uh, on my side happens a lot. I often am yeah. stuck trying to prove a negative on something, even if I don't have a burden of proof. But no, it, it definitely turns the whole thing upside down. It, it adds a different a layer of this that uh, we're all going to have to get used to if I'm, this prevails. Well, so you could great. almost argue it's an it's an added element. I mean, in, no, in, no, only in self-defense yeah, cases. Not even. Well, well how is it? Is it or is it in all homicide cases? I mean, do we still have to ask? I mean, you've got the case in chief, and you present the facts. How can you possibly delineate as a prosecutor when you have to disprove that element or when you have to prove that element? Right, because there's been no defense case. That's correct. I mean, that's the other issue. I'll I'll wave my opening until... (laughs) Right, right. right. And I think that's one of the difficulties that's highlighted here is that, you know, you put on your case and you say, Jim Bob, you know, killed Fred in the parking lot of of the giant eagle, um, and the evidence is that he shot him dead, for example. Um, And then you don't put a case on, and your client doesn't testify. And you get up there and say, well, they both had guns. You presume my guy acted in self-defense. The state didn't disprove beyond a reasonable doubt that he didn't act in self-defense. And if you follow the law, you have to acquit this person. There you go. I still think there's no rebuttal option. There's still— Well, it works great for the person that's a lawful CCW holder that acted completely reasonable in taking the death of—or taking the life of of another. Well, I think that's perfect for that situation. What do we do with everything else? I think part of (laughs) there's a misperception among the— uh, some persons in the gun lobby that, you know, lawful concealed carry holders are somehow being, you know, charged and indicted and going to prison right. left and right that's, on lawful use uh, that's probably situations. statistically and, minimal. Probably and, drove this bill, too. Um, and, I mean, I'm personally not aware of any cases. I'm not saying there isn't one out there somewhere in the world, but my experience, you know, as a prosecutor in the courtroom is generally persons who, you know, inflict violence on other persons have a history of doing that or they already sure. have criminal convictions, and it's not a surprise. Um, it will still be difficult to prove self-defense if, when the police come, there are the drugs. You said earlier, there's piled up throughout the house. Oh, no, any good attorney here is going to get those there. excluded. They don't have anything to do with uh, with being with, with, shot. Unless I want it there, you know, right? So it's unless like, I, unless yeah. I need it there. So, I mean, look, you, I, and I've had these cases. I've had cases where I have used... The fact, even though there's two, there's a crime going on. Say it's a dope deal gone bad, where somebody's they, somebody wants to take somebody's money or drugs. Um, I'm totally cool with that, right? Yeah. Because what bigger motivation to defend yourself or to protect yourself? I mean, think of the other side's motive to come uh, kill me or cause me harm to take what I have. Oh, yeah. What's more value, valuable in that world than money and drugs, right? I mean, that's, well, there's established case law in Ohio. There's a Supreme Court case on point that says you can use uh, self-defense to defend yourself even if you're engaged in illegal conduct. Correct. Yeah, right. right. And Which is true even if you're not a CCW holder. Correct. And Yeah. 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 If you illegally have a gun. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, if I'm selling, the you know, law rockets and mortars out of the trunk of my car and doing an arms deal with some, you know, somebody else and they want to rob me of it and I shoot them, that I can still use that defense of self-defense even though I was engaged in arms trafficking. Now you're probably going to be... Because the arms trafficking is a whole different situation. You're probably going to be still going to come up. Right, you're not getting away <laughs> with it. This is... Yeah, just because you yeah, killed but I somebody. Might not go, I might not go to prison for murder. For murder. Just arms dealing. Right. But, yeah, so it right. happens, or drug dealing, or whatever the, yeah, whatever right. the underlying or, scenario is. Or if the girl be. at the bottom of the stairs that shot the guy that ran over and said he was in a drive-by, if she's a felon, I mean, she could be charged with she could. some sort of wood. She could. Some sort of I mean, my on, experiences on in cases like that, that's not that's what not people are trying to yeah. do. But let me tell you what it does do. I mean, I've had cases where it is not. It, where my client is in a WUD scenario and I get a different reaction from the prosecutor. Other, like, fine, go ahead and prove it. I mean, what are you going to say? Now the WUD comes in and now it's like now it changes the evidentiary dynamic of the case and we can certainly waive and do different things to avoid that, but it becomes a dicier scenario if your client does not have clean hands, so to speak. I mean, it's, mm, uh, right. it's, it's definitely dicier. But all right, so what? I guess the big picture here of the new law versus the old law is now you guys have to prove it wasn't self-defense. The defendant enjoys, I guess, what we'll call a presumption. If there's any evidence. I mean, you would still have to argue to the judge, you know, there's something about the evidence in the state's case that suggests that it could be self-defense. Yeah. Is that, that light most favorable to the state standard, which is very low, is that going to be enough for you to get a self-defense instruction? And I think that's the key. And, and if they play cat and mouse with you while you're presenting your case, it may put you in like a rebuttal situation where you're calling people after the defense rests. Right, but if the defense isn't going to call anybody, I mean, they're just going to go with a self-defense... Uh, and just, just blanket, broad stroke right. in, in closing, saying, well, we didn't, you know, they both had guns. That, yeah, yeah, I think gotcha. you could, I think legally you can do that based on the language and the law, the way it's written. I guess part, part of me is saying, like, welcome to our world, man. It sucks. <laughs> <laughs> right? it, it sucks. It's like, wait yeah. a minute, I don't have to call anybody? I could just sit here now and make that... No, that it's... Uh, it, it it will definitely change a dynamic. I don't know how folks would take that. Though. I just don't know how you dis you just you disprove the person well, didn't act. But we're in legal minded, so it's like, what about the lay person? How's the lay person going to sit? Yeah, and that's listen a good to question. That? They're gonna they're are gonna, they going to be like, wait a minute, is this defense attorney just trying to pull a fast one here? You know what I mean? I, I mean, don't I don't know. know how people are going to take that because well, you've got two alternative realities, right? You've got yeah. the reality that we live in, which is like this legal academic thing, because if we're trying to really slice and dice both either the old or the new self-defense law and you try to apply logic to it, it doesn't it's, work. You know, it's such a curse to be an attorney. You just think about everything <laughs> no, in the worst possible truck terms. driving school. That's what I you should have. have. You should yeah. be a <laughs> podcaster. <laughs> yeah. It's so much better Start down Start a here. vape store like this guy. Yeah. You're good to go. Living the high life. But you've got this one world where it's like you look at it and, and you try to figure out, all right, there's a presumption here, and they rebut that presumption. So are we dealing with, like, the bursting bubble theory of presumption so it just goes away and then we have a whole new clean slate, or does it just shift the other way to the other side and they have to rebut You have to go through all that sort of crap in our heads. And then you've got this other alternative reality that everybody else lives in. It's like, what a bunch of bullshit, man. That was self-defense. We know it. Go well, here. No, here's a question I've got as a defense attorney um, with this new law. Is that something you get into in your opening? Normally, if you know if you have a self-defense case, you're going to tell the jurors up front, right. expect to hear self-defense. But with this new, you know, this new law, when signed or if enacted, which it hasn't yet, so let's be clear about that, but potentially you might avoid any mention of self-defense at all in your opening. And then if you can convince the judge to give the instruction in your closing, the jurors don't know the difference. 
Well, I guess here, I guess this yeah, will all, de- it'll be like every other answer. It'll all depend. I mean, if yeah. I know that, if I just know in my heart of hearts or I know from the evidence I'm getting a self-defense, like say the uh, parking lot scenario, I'm getting right. that instruction, right? I'm going to get yeah. it. Yeah. We'd all agree that's pretty uh, foregone yeah. conclusion. Yeah. I'm going to get yeah. the instruction. I'm talking about that. And my client went in and testi- or uh, gave a statement, testified in the grand jury. So I've got, I'm stuck with that version. Like I'm, I'm stuck, right? You're locked in. I'm locked in. Yeah. I am going to talk about it in voir dire. I'm going to talk about it in the elevator. I'm going to talk about it everywhere, right? I mean, not that I'm going to indoctrinate jurors in the elevator, but the, the point is it's like that's got to come out primally. That's got to be the first thing that happens uh, if I'm going to really convince a jury of that. Um, but let's say it's a, I don't know. If my client's not made any statements, everybody's silent on this, I might sit back. I might sit back and sort of and, and pay attention to see what the, how the evidence unfolds before I choose one path or another right. on a defense. I mean, I might, but it is, it is rarely a good strategy right. to you keep your primary argument a secret, right? I mean, it's like, and we deal with this all the time. Do we share this with the prosecutor in an opening statement? Then they have a chance to blah, 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 blah. I almost always err on the, on the side of... Oh, I'm writing furiously during any <laughs> yeah. defense attorney's <laughs> opening because right. I'm going to make somebody eat crow at the end of the that, trial that trial we had i think he did that he I promised you an opening that he yeah. was going to show yeah i yeah. don't know what but I, I mean it's one of the things i do yeah. often now sometimes it doesn't come to fruition but i want to have that there as right. ammo to be able to shoot right, you back bet, at right. you in my rebuttal at least yeah. yeah you bet and and we go through this little we go through this dynamic of it and i have to i have to decide all right i know i probably or maybe this isn't going to come out if this goes this way i don't get to do it screw it i'm going to i'm going to say it anyway because i'd rather deal with that then or deal with your coming back at me saying you didn't do this and you said you would then the other where they haven't got to her they haven't got to hear a, a crucial fact early on that's going to be a, a good part of the case so we those are the same balancing acts that we that we do in I anything mean, i mean I, I start to take you know the things that irritate me most about what defense attorneys do to to me or in court as a prosecutor that affects my case and then i think how can i do something similar in regards uh sure you know, flip the script sure. so to speak and not in a not in a, a, a malicious way but in an, in an effective way. And you yeah. might, you um, might get, uh, I've objected to prosecutors doing that and they say, well, they did it. And I say, well, guess what? We don't have the burden of proof. We don't have this. You don't have the constitution behind you. You don't have the right to have a fair yeah. trial. You don't have the due process. You it don't have like all the things my dad told me growing up. All right. That's yeah. exactly right. So yeah, it's well, like, I got to do it. Well, that's not a reason. Yeah. You know, it I, is a, I, did it. <laughs> I get this right. on yeah, hearsay right. objections like, all the time. Bridge. Well, I didn't object when they put it on hearsay. I was like, well, well you should shit, have. Dude, man. I, I was waiting on it. Why didn't you? I'm objecting to yours. Sorry. And they're like, well, that's not fair. I was like, go tell this asshole over here who's going to go to prison for 25 years that it's not fair to you, and I won't object, right? See you if know, he's cool with it. You know, early on in you know, my uh, career as an attorney, that's one of the things I think you have to learn is, is uh, when to object and not to object. You know, and here we are on lawyer talk, and sometimes you just want the witness to talk. And I don't – it is hearsay, but just because it's hearsay doesn't mean you should object to it. Yeah, oh, yeah. And yeah. I think early on, though, as an, a new attorney, you're, you know, oh, this violates a rule of evidence. Your Honor, you can't say – I'm like, wait, that's helpful. Why just let him go on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you know, let him talk. And, and, you know, that's the, those are the things that as trial lawyers, you just can never have too many trials. You can never have too much experience to make those calls. I've got an interesting point. It, it occurred to me that, you know, as part of this compromise with this bill, they supposedly have removed, now because it's not back to conference committee and we don't have mm-hmm. a final bill, but if the uh, duty to retreat remains an essential element of a self-defense claim and... Uh, the stand your ground is not part of the bill, then how do you get to self-defense if there's no evidence that the person could have uh, safely retreated, I guess? 
So it's almost like a poison pill in the sense that if, if the state has to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that you didn't act in self-defense when you did it, but there's missing... Is the duty. A, yeah, there's right, a missing Right, that's a the fact. problem, you guys, yeah. There's miss, you're missing a fact that... Uh, or you can't establish or argue to the judge that you should get this instruction because there's been no evidence about the ability to safely retreat or not. Um, I, I wonder if it really is sort of a poison pill to some extent that renders moot this whole concept of uh, presumption of self-defense absent the defendant's testimony if there's no testimony or evidence that they could have safely retreated. Because I think the only person that could opine that they could safely retreat would be the defendant. Mm -hmm. Or no one else can know and that. And that's the balancing mm -hmm. they did, which well, is appeasing they, both sides. Yeah, they they screws it up. Are they eliminating the subjectiveness of the standard, or do they keep that in? So I haven't read the exact language that they did extract in the Senate version. That, that might make a difference because on the one hand, and you, I, you but your point is a good one. Like you, you're the prosecutor and you're basically making our self-defense claim for us right. through, through your under recitation new, and right. presentation of whatever facts under the new law. And if you have that, that gives you a lot of power actually on the, on, if I, as I think this out loud, you get to control the flow of the evidence up to that point, subject of course to cross-examination, but, um, you could paint a picture that doesn't show anything about uh, somebody's uh, ability to retreat one way or another. You could right. paint a picture only of the bare minimum facts and perhaps avoid uh, Correct. a self-defense instruction unless the it begs the defense to get back up and now right. we're just back to the old and, way. And this right. new law only falls into firearms? No, uh, no, no. no. It it could be a knife. knife oh, yeah. Baseball bat, whatever. Um, throwing throwing yeah. star. That's what I was curious about. Uh, you know, MMA guys, one punch, right? If you're a, yes. if you're a fighter. Yeah. Um, yeah. We got a lot of those. a couple of unsolved one-punch homicides here in Columbus. To Do this we day. really? Yeah. Wow. Um, one-punch so homicide? You punch somebody in the head hard enough, Whew. and usually if your punch doesn't kill them, it's the fall to the ground. Yeah. They hit their head yeah. on a yeah. table, yeah. Or, table yeah. or, a, or concrete or something like that. But that, that, um, that sort of begs that question that gives the prosecutor, I don't know if I like that, actually, it gives the the prosecutor the control over whether I get the instruction and so I'm just going to operate under what's being proposed here that it's like the old way right if I want self-defense I'm gonna take that on you yeah know, sometimes yeah. I have to I try to impart on newer younger attorneys sometimes what's most important in the case that you present is what you choose not to present absolutely not yeah. that you're hiding anything I mean I don't want that to be misconstrued but uh, you know there's some evidence that might not be relevant or it might be more helpful to the defense if you put a spin on it as you mm. just and if it's not germane to the elements or necessary to prove the crime um i ask myself as a prosecutor what good is it going to do mm -hmm. why do i want to go down this path and introduce you know medical records of my victim if he's going to come to court and has a hole in him and a sling you know and have pictures of blood coming out of right. him i don't need to call the doctor to because then you can just ask them a bunch of questions. Because then when I call the doctor, I get to say, now let me uh, let me be clear about this. You you got a subpoena from the defense? Yeah. That's me. Yeah. You got you got to be, cal talk you gotta be to, calculated about it. Did you talk to anybody from Mr. O'Brien's office? Oh, yes, I did. Did you receive a subpoena from them to be here today? No. How about yesterday? No. The day before? No. So you're you're only here because we have used the court order to get you here and take you out of your busy schedule. Yes. All right. I want to be clear about what happened and what you saw. So that's what right. we get to do. And that that is the that is my favorite thing to do is mm -hmm. they didn't tell you that. We had to tell you this. Yeah. So this and not not necessarily to blow up prosecutors, but to say this is the nature of the system, right? If 
They're, you can't just take their word for it because they are here to do a job. You have to listen, look at the whole picture. And this here's a primary example. They, and we just had a tryout in Newark like this, and, and I think had had it been un, had it unfolded in the case in chief a little bit differently, it may have gone a different way. I don't know. You know, I want to follow up. I, how do you guys feel about uh, the concept of an affirmative defense and how it does shift the burden? So we know here, you know, if you're alleged to have committed a crime, the government says you, you know, you shot somebody or punched them or you stabbed them. Under the current law, if you want, your client gets to say, well, I did it for a good reason and here's why. Do you think that that's even fair? You I mean, talked about that in the first part. Look, that, there's that's a lot like of criticism the, that it's not if you bring, fair. If you bring the case, you've got to prove right. it. That's, right. This is the alternative reality, right? On the, on the, in the first reality, from a pure logic stance, I don't think it's right constitutionally. I just don't. But as a practical matter, in the second reality, I love it. All right. Now, I was sort of baiting everybody with that question because in the bill, this bill that passed, you know, 228 here, the criticism is that it's unfair to defendants um, to have to raise the affirmative defense, and it should be on the, the government to, to prove all the elements, et cetera, and so the defendant shouldn't be tasked with, with giving a justification defense. And in the same bill, when it comes to improper transport of a firearm in a motor vehicle, it says, quote, it's an affirmative defense to a charge under divisions B, C, and D of this section of improper handling a firearm in a motor vehicle that the firearm was a handgun, and the handgun had been placed in the motor vehicle by a person other than the person charged. And the person charged did not have reasonable cause to believe that the handgun was in the motor vehicle at the time of the... So mm -hmm. we all know you can't drive around with loaded guns in your car unless mm -hmm. you've got a permit. But I find it interesting that the criticism was to get rid of this re affirmative defense requirement for self-defense. And then add it but there. But then add it, because it's new language, it's underlined. No, I hate that language. And then they add the language in improper transport. So it seemed to be a little bit intellectually dishonest to the proponents of the bill to say that affirmative defense is, you know, chips away at person's rights because... Well, if you're gonna, yeah, if you're going to take that position on one affirmative defense, right. then why, why not mistake a fact? Right. Why right. not this other? Um, you know, why not all of them? But they they allow and they put in, they actually insert into law an affirmative defense regarding the knowing element of a motor vehicle. So now you can say, I didn't know that my mom left the gun under the seat. Uh, you know, I got to tell sure. you, I, um, it, as I sit here and think about this, I will do nothing different in a self-defense homicide case that I did last week. Okay. <laughs> it's like, I won't, mm. right? The only thing different I'll do is I'll have to learn the law and what, what the new stuff is. But generally, I'm, I'm defaulting to the second reality where I have to win a trial. And if I get, if I get into the weeds of this stuff, I don't win, right? I mean, look, facts are either going to support. I think a jury's going to look at the big picture and say, that was self-defense. Or they're going to look at the big picture and say, no way. And it, it, there's one case of a client I had. It was a bar fight uh, years ago and where I had a jury sort of intellectually dissect the burdens of proof and standards. A bunch of engineers. It was the craziest thing I've ever seen. They, they showed me on the whiteboard in the jury room afterwards um, their analysis. And they really, it really came down to I only had a burden of preponderance of the evidence and the prosecutor a burden of beyond a reasonable doubt. So they, they, they figured you may. I remember the guy looking at me and goes, just by that much you won. Just by that much. <laughs> right. Because if it would have been just a little bit more burden of proof, then you wouldn't have won. But you only had this. Wow. And it's like hmm. and it, it, that was the only scenario that yeah, I've ever had have, that. They wouldn't have gotten to that point if they hadn't believed the prosecution and at least also proved its case to then consider your self defense case. Yeah, well somebody I mean, died and it was a stabbing. I mean I I mean there was no it was a three on one fight outside a bar. They had, uh, you know, pitchforks and, and battle axes. My guy had a knife, right? Or they had crowbars, okay. and, and my guy had a knife. 
And uh, there was some discrepancy about whether the other people had weapons. But, you know, this was a this was dark. It wasn't the kind of bar that you're taking your girlfriend to on a Saturday night on a first date or whatever it is. You know, this was a this what was what a, kind of bar is that? I'm single. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, a nice pleasant bar. Okay. Yeah. A nice right. pleasant bar where okay. people don't kill each other outside right. Right? Yeah. regularly. There's several homicides right. I've, I've worked on at that same bar. Yeah. But uh, no, that they surgically took it apart. But in the main, I like. I said this last time too. I like having that. I like having the ability. To sort of control the flow of evidence on self-defense. I like having the ability to say, you know what? It's self-defense. Why didn't they get up there and talk about self-defense when everybody knows this was self-defense? I mean, this was obvious. Now, here's all I have to prove to you. And I get to do this whole thing about burdens of proof, et cetera. And I can, I can take both a surgical and a big picture approach at it and argue self-defense. Um, I don't mind having a burden of proof like that. I think it's great. Um, do you think it takes away, this kind of to Michael's point question before that led to this, do you think it takes away a person's right to remain silent, giving you a burden? Uh, at times it does, but I've gotten a self-defense instruction without my client testifying before. It's rare, but it's happened to me. Just I, through I, cross-examination? Yeah, 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 through basic facts that have come out. But it does. I mean, that, that's the scenario. The, what, you've just, what you're saying is right now as it stands, in theory, I have to present my own evidence of self-defense to get the instruction. And nine times out of ten, that's a defendant getting up on the witness stand saying, I, here's what I felt, and here's why I did it. Yeah. yeah, but I think we have to remember the difference here is it's a justification defense, not a I didn't do it, not a... True. So, I mean, if you didn't have that burden at all and there was no self-defense, then the state says this person shot this person in the parking lot, there's 10 witnesses, um, he's guilty. I mean, that's why there's a difference when it comes, because it's mm-hmm. a justification. It's a different mm-hmm. than an identification or misidentification, or, I mean, there's a hundred other types of defenses, of course, but... I think that's the real difference when it comes to the Ohio, you know, which is now essentially common law or has been in Ohio, you know, one of the last states that says if you're going to say that you acted lawfully under an exception, you know, as pointed out earlier, you're the one that can provide the evidence. You have an obligation. Yeah, Yeah. and you don't have to. And you can remain silent, and then the government can say this guy killed this guy in the parking lot, case over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I look, mean, I mean, you can look at it a different way, too. You guys do that day in and day out on every rape charge. You have to prove that without consent well, part of it. That's a good point, though. What if you had it? Uh, what if this did apply, you know, to a rape case, for example? And uh, when you come to a, a rape case, of course, so there is a consent issue. And one of the elements is that force was used. Maybe there was no consent. Now, some are obvious because of the type of force, you know, if the person's all bloody or stabbed or, or whatever like tied it is. up in their yeah, bedroom. And, right. and yeah, So, but then you have the other cases where it's a more a he said, she said, or, yeah, or however you yeah. want to, yeah, so those, those are um, cases that come before the court too. And what if your client, would, what if there's DNA, right? So they've got DNA from a semen sample and it's obvious where it was found that intercourse occurred. They can prove the act. And the uh, victim gets up there and the victim says, you know, we came over and X, Y, Z happened, and all of a sudden, before I knew it, you know, there's a rape. And what if they took the same standard and applied it to that case and said that your client doesn't have to take the stand and say it was consensual? You get a presumption that it was consensual unless I prove that it wasn't. And then I would say, well, the victim got on the stand and said it wasn't consensual. Oh, no. See, I mean, but, how many people consensually get the, shot in a robbery? Here's the difference, though. <laughs> what if, but not, this is not apples to apples. What It would be apples to apples if current law were... I have an affirmative defense of consent that I only have to prove by preponderance of the evidence. So you are sort of taking it. If I would love to have that in rape cases, right? 
So if you get a date rape case and she says she was saying, uh, or maybe she said nothing, but she, but her body action was no. And Mike was like, I thought she said yes. I mean, well, I, you, this is like, yeah, whatever. So you're right. I, I mean, it's not do. a defense. It really just negates an element. You're right. There is a different, I, so do, I agree with you. I there. would love to be able to say, Hey, just preponderance the evidence consent. You know, he thought, yes, that's preponderance. Just a little bit of evidence. So yeah. you get so many people walking away, I think under that scenario. So this is why mm -hmm. you were asking me, what do I like better? I almost like the okay. old way better. I mean, right. it's like, I almost do. Well, I mean, I think I do. People want to criticize, well, the government just has to work harder and uh, do more. And that's, I don't think what it's really about. It, and for me, it's the, just the concern that you as a defendant may get a presumption um, when the evidence doesn't squarely support it. I guess that's my only criticism. I, I, and I, I don't disagree with that at all. I, I think from a big picture, this is largely political. This is largely a response to whatever. I have no idea. But in the reality in the trenches that we all live in every single day in the courthouse trying cases, um, I, I think the realities of this will not change much as far as outcomes of cases mm. in the sense that if it's self-defense, I think I give juries enough credit to know that and figure that out. If it's not self-defense, I give juries enough credit to know that and figure it out. That doesn't mean we're going to have nuances one way or another. But in the main, I think it really, you know, your burden will be about the same. Um, mine will be about the same. And there'll be cases where it may get highlighted as a problem, but I don't think that'll be the normal case. I think the normal cases, like the stairway case or the parking lot case, yeah. you're going to basically do what you do. I'm going to basically do what I do, but the arguments at the end won't talk about burdens of proof on my end. It'll just be, it was self-defense and they can't prove otherwise, which is what I would normally say anyway. It was self-defense and nobody's told you otherwise. You know, I think early on we decided to go with murder just because it's the most juicy, exciting thing to talk about, but I don't see any reason, and I'm kind of surprised that some... Uh lobbying and interest groups didn't bring forward the fact that um, this could be relevant in any domestic violence case. Uh, you know, you've got yeah. a use of force, and, you know, and if you've got two people with a scratch on their face and one person's arrested, the other person, <laughs> look, I, have, I got a scratch no. on my face. I don't have to testify that he or she hit I me stood first. My ground. You know, you this know? is the problem. Um, you have highlighted the problem with, uh, look, I said this is largely political. This is the problem with these kinds of things because then they, you, you just took a scenario that, I don't think people contemplate Probably right? not at the state house. I don't think no. ever, you know, domestic incident no. where you have two people and if, if one person, again, right. like I said, there's a scratch on both person's faces and you've got one person saying that that person hit me first. You go to trial and you say, well, look, there's my client picture. The police were there. They took a picture of this person and he's got scratches on his face. That government cannot prove beyond a reasonable doubt that when he or she punched the the victim in the face a hundred times <laughs> that they weren't acting in self-defense because he's got an injury. Hmm. Mm -hmm. You, I mean, you can't, the government yeah. cannot disprove that it wasn't in self-defense given the fact that my client has some injury. Well, and look, acqu let's acquittal, look at this. acquittal, acquittal, acquittal. Let's look at Maybe. this from just a truth perspective. So if forget prosecutor defense attorney, if we're just looking at it like we want to come to the truth, if somebody really did defend themselves, they should be acquitted. You know, if they had the right to, to, to do it. I mean, if we just look at it in its basic way. If I'm looking at it from a defense attorney perspective, I kind of like stand your ground. I like that he has more of a burden, Michael, here. From a truth-finding perspective, I think the old way is the way that needs, See, to, look, needs he, to go. I, I don't know that I agree with you because, if, it, to me, it's all about what can I do? How, what is my best way to portray a case in front of a jury? What is the I best presentation of evidence? As a defense attorney, I don't really – and I don't get – I hate getting lost in these burdens <laughs> and this crap in front of a jury. Well, now, that's what I'm saying. You're going to try your case the same way anyway, but from my perspective – that's what I think. Well, I think that I, I like that he has more of a burden because if I'm looking at it like win-loss, I want him to have more more of a burden. 
But in the same vein, if we just look at it like we want to get to the truth, did a murder happen or did self-defense happen? Was it justified? I think the old way is the way to go. I don't like standing your ground. I don't see a huge difference. I think the difference is, I mean, there's been one or two times that I have, that the, you know what I think is a more significant change in law than this was giving us presumptions in, uh, uh, in, in like your car or in other, car in other scenarios. Oh, right. When they extended that out, then that changed everything. When I got a presumption because I was in my house that it was self-defense, I mean, then it's like, that gave me a lot more. Uh, uh, that gave me a lot more to work with, I think, than this does. Well, isn't um, kind of this extending well, uh, the castle doctrine and making that? Presumption? Well, I, mean, I don't think it well, goes you have quite a duty to far. retreat. They didn't take that out, so that's going to be. Well, let's talk about that for a second because yeah. last time we were talking about this, they were t- there was a d- we th- there's a racial there's a racial argument out there about stand your ground. And we were we actually addressed this. And I think we all thought, man, in our in our day in and day out lives, I just didn't see this impacting racially one way or another. And then we we read some more about it, and there was there are people that are saying otherwise that there are states out there where stand your ground exists, and there are more racially motivated killings acquitted than uh, otherwise, or there are lar- they didn't even say more than otherwise. So I don't know if there's a good way to measure that nicely, but uh, the stand your ground had a lot of criticism. Uh, that way, and I think that's the old Trayvon and Martin. This is the Trayvon, so the, yeah, yeah the old Trayvon days. Martin uh, sort of extension, where everybody that left a bad taste in everybody's mouth. But uh, you know, I think we all as lawyers try to look at stuff without that, without yeah. that bent. You know, didn't that guy that kill filter. somebody else too? I think so. Or he Sherman? shot somebody. Didn't he shoot somebody, somebody after that? Too. <laughs> he did. Yeah. Right? I think there's another guy <laughs> in Florida that uh, he he they they got footage of it. He was in the parking lot like Seven Eleven. Oh yeah, I saw that. And yeah. the guy there confrontation he pushes him down he go he the guy gets pushed down the ground pulls his gun and shoots, shoots him on the ground yeah, right in yeah. front of his family no, well i thought he was falling down and with, then, oh no no he the, was laying the, on the he was laying on the ground and yeah. shot him yeah yeah, yeah well yeah. i mean the and we all i think we all sort of concluded that you know race i, I don't know i mean does it i've not seen it i've not had a case where i thought this would impact that one way or another but you said something mike when you came in you're like you have to you have to review i imagine cases of excessive force out of police officers or or let's say a police officer is the one who killed somebody and then the question is what happens do they enjoy self-defense the same way as a normal citizen and then you've got that whole other sort of arena of debate about uh, uh, racial motivations of police officers and and we're not going to get into that it's way beyond the scope of this but then maybe that's where it might impact that and I can see why that would have a uh, the stand your ground component of this might have a political consequence, sure. or at least a perception right. is a better way to say it. I mean, I think the th- the the thought was that potentially, you know, every police officer that uses deadly force does so happenstance is potentially part of their job. Right. I mean, they're carrying a gun, um, and so they're in situations, and they put themselves in situations due to their job that every day that ultimately, you know, like this uh, robbery. Everybody see yesterday the SWAT team was setting up on a somebody that was doing a bunch of um, social media robberies. So you know, you get on Craigslist, say I want to sell a cell phone, oh. meet me here, and there was a string of them, and they had to suspect that this was going to be mm-hmm. another robbery, and so they sent a police officer to be the seller. Mm-hmm. Um, of the phone or whatever it is they negotiated, and then the person who was there to buy pulled a gun on the officer, and that person ended up being shot. So, you know, officers are going in an effort to solve, you know, a, a serial robber, 
uh, going armed, knowing that the defendant or suspect is probably also armed because he's robbed other people mm-hmm. under the same modus operandi, and then that person ends up getting shot. So we apply this standard. You know, there's a presumption the officer was acting in self-defense, and they don't need to take the stand and say they were scared. They just have to basically, I assume, through the state's case, would say, look, they found a gun on the person who was shot. You know, there's evidence it was drawn because it was in his hand or on the ground, so it wasn't tucked away. It was out. It was visible. So, you know, under the law, if you have to give that officer that presumption that they were defending themselves for their life, you can see where there's an acquittal in so many officer-related yep. shootings because yep. you're giving that officer who's armed and engaged in that sort of activity, you know, of tracking down suspects or criminals, um, a presumption that they are protecting their life without the officer having to take the stand and say, I was really scared he was going to shoot me. Yeah, and I've never, I will confess, I've never represented a police officer, a law enforcement officer charged charged with anything in his or her line of duty uh, that I could have used as self-defense argument. I've never had to do that. But it's as I sit here and contemplate this, it almost seems like a non sequitur, right? I mean, you've got this situation where they're trained to use, like you even said, the rules about officer engagement are different, but right. that's not necessarily, I don't see anywhere in the high revised code on self-defense law that a cop uh, has a different standard of measuring nicely the amount of force that he has to use. I suppose that falls into the subjective component of it, but um, it, it, it is no, not. I mean, the uh, law applies to everybody equally. Applies to everybody yeah. equally. So why wouldn't a police officer uh, enjoy the he same protections it. of self-defense, uh, even though uh, he's trained? It's his line of duty, and yeah. you could almost in a lot of cases you could say they started it by showing up with their gun, right? I mean, there's like they 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 had the first brandishment of of uh, of a weapon by just having it. And, and I'm I, trying to combat that with the uh, body cam. It's like if I was an officer, I would I would like to be have a body cam. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I would see that as, you know, if you're doing your, your job and, and being presented with a situation, it's not like the citizen that was walking through the parking lot, you know, that was approached by someone with their head down saying, give me your money. We got it on tape. You know what I mean? Exactly what happened, how it went, went down. And I think that gives them some security. And frankly, I think it will take care of some of the public's thoughts. You know, if it becomes a situation where it was an officer that, made a bad decision and now we see it in the news i'll tell you well, I, video I, doesn't lie yeah you know, i have several cases now i'm working on or have been working on involving assaults on peace officers and these are these are simple assaults you know nothing deadly but you know maybe uh somebody punches an officer in the face sure. or they're, they're intoxicated they're not thinking straight so they're not resisting arrest they're clearly assaults on officers and the body cams are very helpful I mean, one of them the officer's talking to a person you know, he's asked there to go on a complaint about the person being, I don't know, loud or menacing or something, and they're having a conversation. And the next thing you know, um, he punches him in the chest, and it knocks his body camera off onto the ground. So now it's on the ground looking straight up, and you can see two people, you That's know, pretty, wow. looking straight. It just happens to be yeah. a ground view looking up, and you can yeah. see the guy punch the officer again in the face, and then another officer comes in from besides and tackles him. Well, and you're right. Seen, so w- without yeah. that video, it's just an officer saying, well, that guy punched me first. Right. And the defendant and saying, no, saying, I didn't. Look or, at my, look what he did to me when he slammed me to the ground and right. I didn't do anything. Yeah. He just dragged right. me out of my house. And now it's all on video. Yeah. And it, I guess this is another, another sort of twist on this I want to add is that I have actually represented a gentleman who was accused of assaulting a peace officer. And the argument was, in fact, self-defense. It was a jury trial from Delaware County. The guy won, uh, won the trial on a self-defense claim. So just because you're a police officer doesn't mean you don't get to use self-defense. And the opposite is also true. Just because it's a police officer doesn't mean that you can't, under any circumstances, use self-defense to protect yourself. 
and uh, in that case, it w- it had to do with um, uh, it was that it, we had there was this logical mess. It was two affirmative defenses, right? You had a mistake of fact, and then oh, we right. had then we had uh, hmm. self defense because uh, the police were coming into his house to execute a warrant, but they weren't. You know, the guy didn't have any power because he didn't have any money, and the lights were out, and it was dark, and they were just banging it in. And the police said, no, he identified himself. He's like, I was half drunk asleep. Next thing I know, <laughs> I got guys banging through my door. Oh. I just started swinging, man. That's, that's <laughs> scenario. That's so you know, you, yeah. brought, so you brought up another good point about mistake of fact. Um, and I recall in law school, and I, I kind of impart this uh, story to persons who take, you know, any CCW classes that I teach, you know, when you get a permit and you're out there, you have a firearm, it's a huge responsibility. I mean, you need to ask yourself, could I use this gun if I were carrying it? Because if you don't think you could or should, then you ought not to probably be have it with you. Um, But I'll never forget, I think it's one of the first week or two of law school when you're learning about mistake of fact. Yeah. Uh, In Texas, you know, it seems like they've had concealed carry forever, I think. There was a guy walking down the street um, on a kind of overcast, rainy day, and there's a guy, if you picture a detective in an old overcoat, you know, as you do, you see him on TV, they got their yeah. raincoats on and his shiny brown dress shoes and his dress slacks, and he is uh, on top of another guy, straddling him, punching his face into pulp. And the guy on the bottom, you know, help me, help me. This guy's beating me up. I remember. This was a case, right? This was yeah, in criminal was, I remember yeah. I had the same and, case, yeah. right? And, uh, you know, this good Samaritan yeah. pulls his gun and says, get off that guy. And he's, help me, he's killing me. And the guy's really going to town. Blood's coming out of his nose. He's punching him. And the uh, good Samaritan shoots the guy on top of him that's, you know, beating the other guy up. Well, it was an undercover officer making an arrest, and the guy's resisting. And so the officer's in a fight for what he thinks is his life. And he's mm-hmm. punching this guy in the face. And, you know, this uh, good Samaritan, so to speak, not knowing what's going on, shoots this guy, ends up going to prison for like 20 years or something. Oh, oh really? He shoots a police officer, you know, when he's affecting an arrest. Well, that's that's a mistake so of fact. That's a mistake <laughs> of fact. But here's, here's the, well, there's a couple of little things you got to put, you got to inject in there. We talked about this last time, like stepping into the shoes, third party defense. Mm-hmm. I can defend somebody as if it's, as if I'm them. Right. So you have uh, to yeah. step into their shoes. Yeah. And, and that's why I always give caution to people too. I mean, if you, if you come home, and there's an argument in your front yard between your wife and somebody else, you don't know if she started that argument. And if right. she did, then you can't claim self-defense because you have to step into her shoes. Right. You're right. stuck with it. And start the yeah, you're then, stuck with that. Or you end up with this like half mistake of fact, half self-defense argument, and it gets real iffy. But the scenario you just had, just there was a case in the news, right, where there was this, there was a shooting at a mall. Police went in there. Yeah. Oh, right. And there yeah. Was, oh, yeah, uh, more recently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, there was a guy who was, I guess, had, a, had somebody pinned to the ground with a gun uh, trained right. on him. Uh, saying don't move until the police get here. You know, sort of using a firearm in the way you'd want yeah. to if you train them. Holding right. somebody. Uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. don't move. Citizens or arrest. Citizens arrest. <laughs> um, but you, and then the police came in and shot him. And I think this has happened a couple times in recent times. And there's been claims of racial motivations or whatever, mm-hmm. racial presumptions or racial whatever. But that happens a lot, right? I mean, right. You, that you, has you, always come to my mind. Like, let's say you're at a mall, a mall shooting, and you're a, you're a carrier, and you go. Whenever the law enforcement shows up, they are not going to know who the bad guy is. Right. If you have a gun, you're a bad guy. Agreed. And mm-hmm. so you may have just, you know, you're trying to help. You're trying to, you mean, like this guy, he apprehended the suspect. He, 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 he was the he, shooting. He was, he was, he was mm-hmm. an officer, you know what I mean? And he got shot. And whenever I saw that story, I was like, you know, that had always crossed my mind. Yeah. I mean, you can't claim defense of others when you're dead because the police yeah. shot you by mistake. Yeah. Right. And yeah. you're trying to help somebody right. else out. And, and, and I right. hear people, especially when they first get their carry, 
and they tell these stories. They see something on the news. Well, if I was there, I would have. And I usually, my answer to that is this. No, you wouldn't have. No, no, no you wouldn't have, man. You don't know what you're like, Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's like, well, for one, how good are you? Because yeah. I'm going to tell you, you've got a handgun, and you're in a situation like that. You get that adrenaline you, dome? You, you can miss. You'll be, yeah. shake, you'll be shaking? Yeah. yeah. Are, are you that good? I can't shoot a big, giant buck. I was going to say, another person. You're, you're a hunter. <laughs> Whenever I hear somebody with, their, with their, what they would have done or how they would have handled the situation or if they were there, I'm always like, no, it, it wouldn't have gone down that way. And then I always follow up with, well, let's say you did. You, you, you took them out. Now what do you do? When the law shows up, yeah, hopefully call me now. What? You, well, that's, that's it. Right. Because yeah. once again, you're yeah. gonna have to. Yeah, you're gonna you, put that gun down. Yeah, put the gun down. Right. You better put yeah. it down. But, you're gonna take a ride, no matter what. But you're talking about scenarios here where you can't put the gun down because you needed to keep the situation at bay, and then police show up and screw it up or screw up their assessment of the scenario, and somebody's right. dead, and it's the wrong guy dead. Um, I guess these are arguments that would be against carrying concealed. Yeah, think about, yeah, think about the yeah. investigation too. It's like if shots were fired in there and you're holding a gun, it's like, I yeah, mean, there's a lot of risks. You're interviewing people, a, you're checking ballistics. It's like, this really is the last so, thing I would want. All right. So I'm going to give you guys, a a, I'm going to give you guys the same quiz I give at the opening of my concealed Uh-oh. carry yeah, class. Do it. No, right? do it. Uh, same quiz. It's, it's, it's a one question. It's not a trick question either. How do you avoid getting a speeding ticket? Don't speed. Don't speed. Don't speed. I would say don't speed. Don't drive. Don't drive. <laughs> there you go. Right? So if yeah. you're carrying yeah. a gun with you, you're already in the car. Yeah. You're yeah. walking already. You're going to you hmm. have a potential to get a speeding ticket. I like if you're that. not carrying that gun, you're not in that car. But you still get a speeding ticket erroneously, I so, suppose. Yeah. Right? So don't drive. Yeah. yeah. No, it's and that's just it. I guess this is a this is an interesting nuance to your handgun classes. It's an interesting nuance to police and law enforcement it's an interesting nuance to us who do we who do trials and uh i don't know what's going to happen i don't know how this is going to shake out ultimately but yeah there's more there's more to the bill though isn't there yeah just well we didn't like i mean like what was i looking at here like uh the bill prohibits cities from passing their own rules about guns and other items such as cincinnati's ban on bump stock the bill would be uh Given the municipalities months to repeal the rules. Um, you know, you're you're right on, and that's at the very beginning of the bill. I printed it out. It's eighty some pages, and um, it says here because they go on to sort of elaborate about under Heller. You know, the United States Supreme mm-hmm. Court found that firearms are a fundamental right, so it gets that stricter scrutiny analysis. But any such further license, permission, restriction, don't you love attorneys? They get involved and mess everything up, right? Um, license, permission, restriction, delay, or process. Legally that interferes with the fundamental individual right described in this division and unduly inhibits law-abiding people from protecting themselves, their families, and others from intruders and attackers, and from other legitimate uses of constitutionally protected firearms, including hunting and sporting activities, and the state, by this section, preempts, supersedes, and declares null and void any such further licenses, permissions, restrictions, delays, or process. There you go. You you know what I just heard out of all that? Strike me down. Separation of powers. This is a problem. No, I mean this, this is the kind of stuff that sort of. Uh, That's funny. I heard want, 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 want. This is this is it's like this is the stuff that I feel has zero place. Yeah. In a legislative enactment, this is the stuff yeah. that I feel really belong. That sounds like a judicial opinion, right? So right. Leave yeah. that to the courts. That's their job. That's the separation of powers problem that I think is happening. Right. You get the legislation all too often. I only know Ohio, but all too often in Ohio, I see legislation that is politically motivated. 
to address a certain cause or a certain situation and without enough or sufficient or even any consideration as to how it gets applied elsewhere, like he just pointed out with domestic violence, right? So now we've got this with that little preamble that uh, talks about uh, gun rights and things like that. Well, that, none of that's needed, right? I mean, all that exists anyway. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's um, not even a statue. I mean, it's not, there's no punishment section. There's no, it's just it's, sort of it's just somebody dicta. wants to. Yeah, right. just, just legislative dicta yep. That, yep. That, sh- that exposes their real intent, right? And that's the, the problem is we deal with it in drunk driving all the time. We see these sort of makeshift laws that end up having these ramifications that are unintended. But uh, what else would we do if they didn't, that stuff didn't I mean, we have to wait and see. So first off. Um, they have a, have a conference committee and then come to the final wording, and then the governor can either sign it or not sign it or veto it. I mean, he could just let it go without signing it and becomes law, but I think based on his indication, he's probably going to veto it. But I think they could override the veto, and I don't know the effective date. It's usually 30 days after or so, so we wouldn't really even see practically these cases probably for another six or eight months. You know, if somebody under the new law were to commit an offense and they want to try to mm. use the laws that's changed it, I don't think you'd see that till probably next. Yeah, and it's you know, not going to apply. I mean, I, I did, does it talk in there about when it applies or the effective date? Or is it retroactive to any offenses on or after a certain thing? I mean, I, I doubt had, that's I had in that there, situation right? with one of your colleagues the other day. It's, yeah, it's one of these cases ongoing, and I was just like, ah, it doesn't matter, man. I'm waiting until stand your ground process continues. Well, <laughs> you know, I had that. I think every drug case I had was waiting for issue one. I yeah, literally, right. had, oh, yeah, I literally yeah, had people yeah. coming up to me saying, "This is going to be a misdemeanor in a month." You know, continue. Yeah, and I said, oh, even oh, if it is not this right. one. Yeah, not, yeah, yeah. This happened before buddy boy yeah yeah well i mean this is uh this sort of puts you it's interesting because you yeah. teach your uh firearms instructor right um you Have prosecute been. uh so you're you you got a lot of interesting stuff going on uh and i appreciate your perspective he's an avid cook too he could fall right into mama b's cooking talk yeah i mean i've got a whole hog under my belt i mean mm-hmm. i'm no expert but I got a whole hog under my belt. <laughs> <laughs> well, this year I'm going hungry, though, because, you know, that first day of deer season with 40-mile-an-hour winds and the rain was a big no. I mean, the deer were smart enough two. to stay. Well, I couldn't take that. I had about 10 trials scheduled. Continue. Oh, that's when you have these guys. Continue everything. Uh, yeah. 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 So, yeah, you're right, though. The opening day was terrible, and I wish I could have gotten out. Uh, the middle of the week was a lot nicer. You know, day two, at least where I was hunting, it snowed. The wind died down. And it was gorgeous out. So anybody who knows about deer hunting, hunting in the snow is awesome, right? Because you can see everything. Everything's quiet, too. Everything's quiet. Yeah. You can see very well. You see the contrast of whatever. But uh, no, my freezer's still empty. So yeah. We got those two bonus gun days. I'm not a bow guy, so hopefully I'll get out here the end of December, at least one of those two days, and uh, I'll have something to eat. And, and you can still even you can go out there and uh, see what you catch for uh, lintlock season or muzzleloader season. Yeah, muzzleloader. I'm not a big I, uh, hunt hunted growing up with my father, and he did the whole dress up like it was 1800 you know with some <laughs> yeah. le- leather jacket and a That's coonskin awesome. cap and yeah i've got a 54 caliber you know kentucky long rifle that thing is probably wow. six feet long and weighs 15 pounds and i remember hunting with him as a kid and this is real pain in the butt uh, it's so, a lot better with a brand new I mean, yeah, the, yeah 44 the, yeah. mag or, or 4570 yeah. rifle um, but, um, i went into the store the other day and they had it was like this cooler section and it just had all this like meat packaged, and you just pick it up and take it home. How about that? You mean like the deli meat? 
I mean, like, just what? meat in general. Oh, <laughs> you wanted to buy your meat. Yeah, I got you. I got you. Oh, they have that? I'm oh, just kidding. I didn't know. Yeah. That well, seems, the last uh, chili I made, I know where the meat was. I know I know, I know. know where it started, how yeah. it got processed, how it ended in my freezer, and now how it got cooked. I'm not yeah. a, I'm not a big hunter. what road he killed it on? What road I killed <laughs> it on or where I picked it up? Yeah. I'm not a big <laughs> hunter, but that is uh, that has got to be an amazing feeling to know you did the work. You took the animal's life and you did it for a reason you're using the meat you're feeding your body it's got to be a, a great I, feeling i agree with that yeah yeah i didn't start hunting until as an adult and i always wanted to, it's something about there's something about the self-esteem component to be able to go in the woods kill a deer or anything right and then uh bring it back process it all yourself and then keep it right it, it gives you some independence that perhaps you don't get at kroger and i think you get some respect for the animal Absolutely. You have because Absolutely. you have that connection that if you just go buy a chicken breast already cut up, it doesn't mean the same. Really. It's just a package, package of meat. You know, it's a lot yeah. easier. I mean, let me tell you, it is. I, hey, it was I, really hard to open that package. It's some work, man. I don't necessarily enjoy just killing. I mean, that's not what right. I, I do. Don't, this I don't. Really shouldn't so. Anything I don't eat, it yeah. shouldn't be that either. Yeah. I, I don't care for so, that part of it as much as I, I, I like. I heard a guy the other day say that coy- you can kill coyotes anytime in Ohio. Is that that's, true? Yeah. yeah, they're a nuisance animal, yeah. so they are crows and coyotes. I don't both, think I, I can think. do that though. Just I've got a skull in my office. You should come see it. Do you, do, did you eat that? Like you so said, you I didn't don't. because that is the that is actually the exception. So we we're hunting okay. on my friend's farmland in Delaware County a few years ago, and he said specifically, if you see any coyotes, get them, kill them because they attack and eat my chickens. And there you go. So I had permission, and one was running and, around. And then you were predators, standing right? your ground. Yeah, yeah. there's no predators for coyotes <laughs> yeah. in this part of the, in this part of the state. <laughs> yeah, now down south, I like that. My ground again. You didn't have a duty to retreat though. You know, you just fired it off. I like it. Yeah, Full so no, circle. Nobody hunts the coyotes, so you're okay to just kill them, I guess. Yeah. But, uh, anyway, I, I fortunately, I don't have to establish self-defense when I'm hunting deer. Right. Well, you might have to you post some defense if you're not within the, what's the, what's the month you do? It's like two-week time period? Right now, man. You right can now. be hunting right now. Yeah. Not with a gun, but you could be hunting right, you could be hunting in a week. Yeah. 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 Back out in the woods. Yeah, in a week, so. All right. All right. Well, I appreciate you coming in. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank I really you, enjoyed it. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Michael. That was great. Uh, you're very thanks, insightful, guys. too. A lot more uh, detail than I think we otherwise would have had. Perhaps we need more of him. Yeah. Know. There's I'd only one of me. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, that was a lawyer talk off the record on the air with Prosecutor Hughes until now.